Magic Without Fears, Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. Without Fears, Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. And we're live. Can you hear me, brother? Paul Edward Rana. Welcome to Without Fears. How are you doing today, sir? I'm excellent. How are you, brother? Oh, yeah. Couldn't be better. Well, minor, minor uh, GERD attack, but I'll, I'll survive. Bear with me. What, what is a GERD attack? Yeah, it's nasty. Well, you know, it wouldn't be a big deal, except I've also got the celiac disease and the psoriasis, which both cause inflammation. So altogether, that's a lot of pressure on my esophagus, and it just sort of closes up, and I can't breathe and stuff. That sort of thing. You know, the usual. The oh, usual. no. Yeah. That sounds way worse than, like, any allergy or asthma attack I've had. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's like if I consume any dairy, I'll regurgitate for three days straight and not be able to sleep. No way, dude! Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah, like the doctors have been like, that's how a lot of people with those three diseases or similar diseases die. Is like they just die in their sleep of asphyxiation, or if not, then the celiac disease and psoriasis will kill you with a blood clot or a brain aneurysm something like that you know there's a variety of ways you can go um but you know to be very honest with you because you're you're like probably one of the healthiest magicians i think that lives (laughs) i've seen you doing the jump kits kicks over the sun and moon on the beach in your photos you're you're amazing specimen brother and i'm sure you've worked hard to be so but for me when i found out about this stuff in 2011 and started having learned with live with it it actually changed my life i started appreciating my days so much more like more than I ever thought I could and more than most people around me could understand because once once doctors tell you like oh you're probably gonna die in a few years and you're 30 it's like oh I guess I better really fucking enjoy everything like truly well, that's part of the beauty of impermanence right of of recognizing this mortal coil is <clears throat> actually learn to appreciate what we have around us just that every moment every day is a blessing yeah. and that you are in the kingdom of heaven Amen. Amen. So I guess that's a bit of your uh, theology uh, here and now. We are, this is the blessed realm. That's very Jewish, isn't it? It's, it's standard Kabbalah. You know, it is what the Golden Dawn's teaching. It's what um, I think Martinists get confused sometimes and Gnostics get confused sometimes with the ideas of duality and they tend to lump matter into this negativity. Um, 
but you know, not all Gnostics were like that. Not all Gnostics were dualists. Not all Gnostics had this um, concept of the even the the concept of a fallen world being evil completely. Um, there's there's been a lot of Gnostics that have this concept of um, a Dionysian uh, or maybe not back an alien, but um, uh, uh, that we should enjoy the fruits of the earth, that we should enjoy each other, enjoy ourselves. Um, and I think that's that's kind of how I try to live my life and recognize that we are already in the kingdom of God. I mean, that is one of the titles of Malkut. Yeah, yeah. As well as the gate of tears and the gate of death. <laughs> There's a little bit of both. <laughs> the gate of tears and the gate of death. Great. We're <laughs> when you think of yeah, we're this is the, we're living in the kingdom of of heaven on earth. This is manifest destiny, and it's the gate of death and tears. Like that. That sort of describes the world, especially these days. You know, I think it's easy to say, to look at the world and think things are so bad, and there's a lot going on, obviously, politically, and, but you know what? Every age, every generation has felt like they're living in the end times. Every and single one. Every single one, man, and some generations had it worse than others, you know? Look at World War One; People freaked out, like, this is obviously a sign of the end times. Look at World War Two. Yeah, and they were like, there could never be a greater war than this with greater atrocities, and it's like, oh, you shouldn't have said that. Yeah, humanity just keeps pushing the envelope. I mean, the Black Plague hundreds of years ago, you know, the, the fall of the, the Second Temple of, of Jerusalem. These, these things have happened yeah. again and again. The, the Second Temple is a fascinating one because that is what people actually did think was the actual end of the world. Yep. Like, that was the most consensus end of the world that we've actually had in history where pretty much everyone did believe that was true. maybe we it it end and we're in the matrix now and now and now we look back at that time under the heading of ancient near eastern studies yeah isn't that crazy like perspective looking at history gives us perspective and i think right now sure things are going crazy but we're also more tapped in and we're being inundated 24 7 with that constant news cycle and a lot of it uh, let's just say a lot of it's very biased depending on whichever angle you're coming from. So I think it's very important to tune out, tap out. Like you took a two hour walk today before this call. I think that's something people aren't doing enough of. I did. I cut it short. It was an hour and a half because of, as soon as I started walking, I had the attack and I was just like, fuck, oh, I'll walk man. through it. I'll push through it. But the, but even, you know, cause that's the mentality, especially my dad raised me with that mentality. If you've, you're having a problem, man up and push through it. And then years later, when I found out why my body had broken down by the age of 30 to such a radical degree, like a, a, in 2009 in Belfast, I weighed 27 stone and over the next couple of years, lost like 300 pounds going gluten-free and, and uh, changing my diet and eating things that I actually could absorb, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, the doctors, I was like, I was like, I was told I should just push through this stuff. And the doctors were like, that's like saying, if you accidentally put, put a diesel in your regular car, you should just <laughs> push through it. And I was like, right. that's an amazing metaphor. And I, and I told my dad and he was like, Oh, 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 that that's not what you should do. I'm like not at all. No, if you if you're like, oh, you put in the wrong gas, son. You put in the wrong gas. Just pump the gas. You'll the sooner you burn it out of your engine, the better your car will be. Well, that's kind of like uh, old school martial arts training, and I know that you have a lot of martial arts training as well. Like back in the old days, that was what the masters taught, and that's what they taught us was just push through it and man up, and you know, don't be a wuss and get back up. And there's a time and a place for that for sure, but. 
to use the analogy of martial arts, the older you get, the more you have to listen to your body, recognize your body, and, and honor it. And when you have a certain kind of an injury, you need to let that rest, you know? And same with our body. Like, I tend to push through things to this day still. I tend to have that stubborn Capricorn rising, Mars conjunct the ascendant, and just, like, push, push, push. Wow. But it's important to... I keep telling myself this. <laughs> it's important to have that R&R and, like, some self-care. Yeah, definitely. The saying we had, uh, my favorite favorite of my Bujinkan teachers would always say, uh, get hurt, not injured. Word. Yep. And there is a big difference. Yeah. One is you're, you're sore and hurting the next day. The other one is you can't train for a while. One is tempering the body. Yes. And it's better to be able to train five days a week than to train one day really hard and have to rest for six days. Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely got hurt a lot and I, I enjoyed it because I toughened up. Like I had to learn, we learned break falls and dive rolls and all that stuff on cement at, a, at outside of school at the base of Grouse Mountain. And that was how we learned it. It's like, you just, your body learns so quickly when you're learning to do dive rolls on cement. Cause every, every little mistake, your body's just like, Oh, don't do that. Don't. Yep, I learned, I learned in hardwood floors, so not, not as unforgiving, but they're both, they're both way more hard. You know, the great thing is when you train that way and then you go to a dojo, right? Where everyone's on mats, you, you feel like a God. You're like, yeah. <laughs> and you can just leap, you're leaping around and just, yeah, it, it's so easy. You feel invincible. Like this is yeah. no big deal. Yeah, no, amazing. So what's your, what's your, uh, before we get into magic stuff, what's your martial <laughs> background? So I started training very young, like five years old. Um, my brother was into martial arts. He was into Taekwondo. And, you know, when I was young, he was my idol, right? Heavy metal, martial arts and all that and long hair. Nice. Um, so I started training as soon as I could. Uh, what was available was Kenpo karate. Um, had, I was very young. The teacher was very unreliable. Um, eventually I found my kind of my lifelong master, Michael Tippett. And he ran a Taekwondo school, but he came up in the old school full contact kickboxing circuits. So we fought like boxers and kickboxers. You know, he had a detached retina from boxing. Um, so, <laughs> and he was 6'4", 240, and I'm still small, <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. So he, he taught me how to take a punch real quick and how to take a knockout real quick. Um, so, you know, Taekwondo, boxing, kickboxing, full contact kickboxing was my main gig up until high school wrestling, you know, and then you get into uh, Greco-Roman wrestling, which is fantastic for the groundwork. Uh, this is before jujitsu was a real big thing, you know? Yeah. And even, you know, judo was around as in the Olympics, but it wasn't there. It wasn't highly available. It didn't seem like, uh, yeah. Yeah. you know, and the, then I full, fought full contact kickboxing, um, fought across Europe, fought across the States. Wow. Uh, Got a world championship in Ireland in 2004, a bunch of state championships in Arizona, uh, a couple national ones, and then branched out into judo, into kaju kenpo, into other forms of karate, and kind of done a little bit of everything except the Chinese arts. Like, I really have not practiced kung fu. I have not practiced um, uh, bujikan. but, you know, not the Japanese ninjutsu, none of that stuff, but primarily hard styles. And then for soft styles, you could say it's a soft style judo. It is the gentle way, yeah. you know, by definition. Yeah, there's a lot of Jew training in Bujinkan or ninjutsu. Uh, that, was, that was one thing I liked about it. I also like the fact... There's also a lot of Jew training in Kabbalah. 
in the Golden Dawn. <laughs> uh, folks, he just compared the word Jew with the word Jew yeah. in body. Very false cognates. But hey, false cognates. Oh, you're. You know, they they sometimes they're absolutely funny though. You know? <laughs> I mean, the unfortunately, dude. The unfortunate dude. You Texans always. I remember in '97 with Frater uh, Fecunditus or Fecunditus Fecunditus Frater Fecunditus. Which, Fecunditus. Uh, heck, yeah, you know, Mark. He would tell us the. He would tell us all the horrible Kabbalistic jokes like dude where do you think I got him from oh th- yeah like where's where's <laughs> desire where's desire on the tree of life in your nutsack yeah <laughs> dude or, that that has not changed he was my mentor for years what's the part of your soul that will tell you if a girl wants to hook up with you your nefesh shama oh my god <laughs> the nefesh that's so great you still remember those man oh could I forget Oh, hey, what's the matters with a few good jokes? Oh, my Jesus. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think this might go viral, bro. Yeah, yeah, buddy. And you know what? I get to tell you these jokes as we haven't uh, had this conversation. All, all, my, all my students and members, they're like, oh, God, again. I'm a new but guy. every time there's a new member, we get to start it all over again. Oh, awesome. Oh, I, we have to, folks, we need to write these down. You should make a cheat sheet of all your things and we'll uh, give it as a download. But right. let's talk. So you have students and members and, and outside of martial arts in the magical world because because you're awesome and doing many things. I saw you live stream uh, a Gnostic Mass, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, sir. Um, I stream a Gnostic Mass most Sundays and then most uh, major holidays as well. Where can people find those? The easiest way to find that is on the OMS Facebook. That's Order Martiniste Souverain. Facebook.com slash... uh, Ooh, I should have known this. (laughs) Order Martiniste Souverain. Um, that is uh, my the Martinist order that I currently lead, and we we do masses most Sundays at eleven a.m. CDT cent- Central Time, and then major holidays. Wonderful. Yep, and there's a ton of videos on our YouTube as well, which people should check out. Uh, the YouTube for Order Martini Souverain. There's probably like forty educational videos on there, ranging from shorts to two-hour talks in Kabbalah, Shem Hameferesh, Pasquale, Semertan. All kinds of stuff. Wonderful. So it, is that um, the same thing as the Elu Cohen? Yeah, the Elu Cohen would be considered a branch of Martinism. <clears throat> but are you, is your order the same as, as like Jeff's uh, Elu Cohen order? He's, he is, uh, and I can, we, I can say this because he mentioned the name. Uh, we're not allowed to out members, but because he outed himself. <laughs> Jeff, is, um, Jeff and I have worked for a very long time together in a variety of orders, including uh, the OMS. Um, yeah, what, did, did, uh, as you know, I met him at uh, Power Week 97 at the Golden Dawn International, which later on in the States became the Hermetic Order of the Morning Star, and in Canada, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn Society for a while, due to the, the David Griffin lawsuits mm-hmm. and shenanigans. Were mm-hmm. you, did you know him back then? When did you meet uh, Jeff Contreras? So I was, uh, can I ask how old are you now? I'm uh, 30, 39 for another uh, 20, 21 days. Awesome. So uh, I'm 34, so I was still a kid back then. Well, so I um, was 16 when I met him, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you were obviously a very unique case, and he's said, all, over all the years, he's just said that you were such a progeny, and he's, he's always compared me to you and said that I've always reminded him of you. 
I love I love that he says progeny because I think he uh, prodigy prodigy, prodigy. <laughs> I so maybe say, maybe his progeny too. I, oh, if he had been my dad, I would have had a much happier life. So that would have been nice. Um, Jeff is such a sweetheart. He he is one of the sweetest people I know. Yeah, um, I remember he he got he 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 was just go off with me and Dan Ortiz on conspiracies all night long. The nights we would arrive in L.A. and and we would just stare at him like dumbfounded, like listening to these amazing landscapes of information. And I just you know I just back pocketed it all these years and and have always had this sort of fascination for the conspiracy stuff. But sure enough, it has actually made me aware of when I do see things because you know. There's a lot of truth in a lot of it. Um, yep. And, uh, you know, he would always say things about aliens that I was just like, okay, I don't believe in aliens at all. And now so much of that has been proven true. And it's like, well, that's why I'm, I'm always a fan of, of not being certain. Like in my main book, The Ethics of Understanding God, I write a lot against certitude. Certitude is a dangerous, dangerous demon that you need to be careful with. There's nothing wrong with being sure of yourself, but you don't want to become ideologically certain. Well, certitude is a problem, whether it's saying you don't believe in something or you do. Like, for example, in, in magical practice... that you can't be wrong. Right, right. Well, well, open to being wrong. Yes, and in, like in magical practice, a neophyte or a, an associate, they have to have suspension of disbelief. And it's not that they need to believe something they don't believe, but they have to allow the possibility of it into their consciousness. Otherwise, the whole work is spoiled from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah, that's actually a good a good thing. I've heard a lot of people struggling with the, you know, that early phase in magic a lot of people have. I think I had it briefly, but again, I had a weird indigo kind of upbringing. But uh, that feeling of like sometimes in the beginning of your practices magically, you feel it's very real and you're into it. But then other times it's like it's on feels, it, I think it does feel make-believe and just like shenanigans to people at some time. But then there's a point that everyone gets to where the idea of it being in any way shenanigans vanishes and that baby is put to bed forever and you're like this is more real than the real the journey to that saying that suspension of disbelief is a really simple way to describe the heuristics of going to those rungs on the ladder where you you know where you're like i'm not on the ground anymore i'm most definitely and, and almost every student, I think, goes through that. And and you said something key right there. I'm not on the ground anymore. I think that, like, to use uh, Golden Dawn terms, because everyone's so familiar with the Tree of Life, you know, uh, unless someone Dawn comes... invented the Tree of Life, as we all know. Uh, and, and they didn't invent it, but they, they, they codified it in the way that we know it now. They codified it the way that everyone thinks about it today, for sure. The Hermetic Kabbalah. And the like, Hermetic rabbis are so... And we're back after a, a brief little computer crash there. Testing, testing. Testing, testing, yeah. So, uh, you know what I think it was? I think I put my phone down on part next to the keyboard... And I think the battery, and sometimes that happens on the, on the laptop, putting the phone near a certain part of it will just shut it off. Wow, that's crazy. Yours booted so much faster than mine did earlier. <laughs> well, it, just, yeah, it, it did sort of a soft turn off, but enough to just de- deactivate the Zoom. So, Well, hey, we are on to some good stuff, man. You know, as soon as you take a, a pot shot at the Hasidic rabbi, the Hasidim, <laughs> you're, you're, you're asking for it, bro. They're like, that is not the tree of life we know. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's an interesting thing. I, I actually wanted to bring this up with uh, 
David Heimsmith, but I, I tabled it for our follow-up, which will happen in the spring. I was talking with him today. What a, what a legend. And one of the most interesting differences between Hermetic Kabbalah and Hasidic or Jewish Kabbalah is that the Adam Kadmon in Hermetic Kabbalah, our Gebura is on the right shoulder, Hesed is on the left. But in Jewish Kabbalah, those are reversed because Adam Kadmon, or we, the person, I am the reflection staring at the tree of life, which is sort of the body of God. Whereas in Hermetic Kabbalah, we commit a Kabbalistic heresy. There's a key heresy that Hermetic Kabbalah or Christian Kabbalah commits. And it is that we turn around and step backward into the tree of life, into into the body of God. And that, explained by my first Hasidic mentor in 97 in Vienna, was, was the real heresy as far as he and, you know, Hasidism was concerned. You know, and I totally get that, and I understand how the reflection is, that's a symbol in and of itself, but at the same time, I also understand why Hermetic Kabbalah has done what it has has done what it's done, you know, the right side of the body, Trisha being the more forceful, most people are right-handed, right, like the left-handed people are kind of the, the, uh, the, the rarity. You know, and left is like the the more passive, gentle, and right's the more active, proactive. And maybe I'm just saying that because I've, I've been conditioned that way with Gavor and Kesed. But what I love about the tree is it's flexible. Yeah. I always tell people there's not one tree. This is one that you're learning. I think the reason that heresy came about, and I don't know if it was uh, Mirandola really or who, who started it, it was probably the Golden Dawn. It was probably Kircher originally that had the tree in that way. Well, and then envisioning rituals so that we are stepped back into it, that might have started with the gene. That's probably Golden Dawn. But yeah. it's, definitely, it's definitely a Christian heresizing because it's the same heresy that, that of the Messiah is saying, I am God. So mm-hmm. we are then saying we are imitatio Christi, like Jesus, and we then say we are then for like God, and we're all stepping backward into the tree, and you know, you know, con- yeah, that's that's the thing. That's the the that's the the other. That is what is other. Heresy literally just means other, and yep. so that is what is other than the Hasidic view of Kabbalah. And so, and, and you know, of course, the beautiful thing about most Hasidic rabbis I've met is they don't they don't care. They're like no, they're re- really in, relaxed. In seminary, I had one uh, the 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 rabbi who taught us uh, Jewish studies. He said, "You know, for for us, the thing is, for you, Jesus is the Son of God and the Word made flesh. And for us, Jesus, yes, he's a prophet, but meh, <laughs> meh." And that would be one of the key heresies again, right? Is that Christ turned around and stepped back into the tree and made himself divine, you know. When you were saying the step back, when you described it, obviously we know this term, but it made me think of uh, the term metanoia, of turning around from the world. What, like now? Yeah, of turning away from the world and returning back into the divine. I mean, that is one of the first stages in the magical, alchemical, mystical process, right? Whether we're talking Greek Orthodox or Christian mysticism or, or whatever, man, that is one of the most useful terms I find. Metanoia, people. Mm-hmm. Metanoia. There's, there's probably a good uh, joke, uh, Kabbalistic joke, in there for you guys. Like you know, you're with your. I can't even remember the other ones you said, but <laughs> you know, meta. Uh, I met, you know, I met this person, but I, 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 they were annoying. I don't know. You, ugh, I can't even try and do it. I can't do it. Yet, sir. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes they're hard, hard to bring to mind. 
Yeah. Well, you know, Mark did a great job uh, uh, like overwhelming me with those jokes constantly. That that and the uh, the very profane uh, Yo Mama jokes. But, yeah. uh, you know, humor is such a beneficial part of this practice. We work with such heavy forces, such heavy theological concepts, and we go through such dr- drastic changes as we get into real magic that if you can't laugh, you're going to go crazy. You know, Jimmy Buffett says that <laughs> in Margaritaville, right? If we, weren't all, if, 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 we weren't, if we couldn't laugh, we would all go insane. Yes, yes. Um, honestly, probably magic and the, the initiatory path is what probably caused me to become so goofy and silly, honestly, because I was not like that for most of my life at all. <clears throat> but it, that the stuff we do is so serious. Um, I know I get critiqued about being so silly or, you know, doing these things sometimes stoned or while drinking, you know, or or Jeff microdosing DMT. (laughs) Right. Sure. (laughs) I mean, a big part of that is because I started this podcast April's first, so go figure. And secondly, uh, I haven't been allowed to really see, do much or see people for most of the time. And like, so it's like when I do these things, this is my social event. It's my social time, and I'm going to fucking enjoy it whether you guys like it or not. And what I like about what you said is that there's something people don't understand, which is like this silliness and goofiness or like uh, my, and my crassness, for example, it doesn't have any place in the temple. You, no, you, there is a difference. If you think it go, comes into the, into the ritual circle with me, you have another thing coming. You there's a very big you difference. You haven't actually met me as Frater RC or, or even more significant as, as very honor Frater RPAD, you haven't met that person unless you've met me in the circle, in the temple. And I'm sure we're all like that. You see the magical side of that person come out because as soon as we put on our robes and nemesis, whatever colors they are, and we go in and give our grade signs, we we change our we alter our consciousness. Our consciousness well, that's that's the initial essence of why we have a motto in the first place, right? Yeah. In the Golden Dawn tradition. In Martinism, that main symbol comes from putting on a mask. That by putting on the mask, you separate yourself from your profane self. You create to, an, to a maximum the distance between the, your profane self and your initiatory self. Or yourself in the profane world. Wow, and so you guys actually wear masks. In Martinism, yes. Wow. Uh, that, that, that is one of the key symbols of Martinism is the mask, uh, as well as a number of other things. But it, what you were saying there, like the, the part of our – I've been criticized just like you for being overly crass, <laughs> but also I get criticized for being overly serious. So it's like, which one do you want? Um, you know, and I think both are necessary, man. We, we are composed of all ten spheres, to use the tree of life terminology, since we're all familiar with that. We're composed of all these things as well as more. And there's a time and a place for each thing. And those of us who are extremely victorious in life naturally have very powerful nutsacks. That's damn straight and big, strong (laughs) Gaboras. Gaboras, yeah. You know, um, I want to return back to something you said a moment ago about about the laughter. Um, Not only, so sometimes I think... New adepts might use laughter and uh, crassness as a coping mechanism to deal with their new understanding. But recently, just yesterday in one of my group, in in the OMS chats, it came up about, um, I can't remember what they said, but I I, I was editing a paper, a a book by Sam Rattan, 
Louis-Claude de Saint-Martin, the unknown philosopher. He's one of the key masters of the Martinist tradition from the 1700s. Yeah, you speak and read French, right? Uh, I read French. I don't speak it very well. Je, je ne parle pas très bien. C'est incroyable, oui? Yeah. Well, you got the Quebecois going on, right? I, I picked up a lot of it from living with Martin for years. Yeah, that, and the Quebecois is very different from and they're very straight crass. French. They're very, 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 very crass. Well, it's kind of like a Louisiana versus, yeah, right? Like Creole. It's borderline <clears throat> just too disgusting for me, even. Yeah. yeah. Nice. If anyone out there well, hey, I like that, though. Crass, go talk to Montreal people. God. Yeah, I bet. I bet. I mean, that's where Vice Magazine was born. I'm sure the Montreal is all <laughs> crazy. I was, I was with my band uh, in 2008 touring across Canada, and we were, me and my buddy, my drummer, were playing billiards, and we, we met these, these girls, and we were talking with them. And I was talking to one of them. We were having a really intelligent conversation, given the language barrier. And her friend, I think, got jealous or something, and she just walks up between us and stares at her friend and says, Why don't you just fuck him? Nice. And they're they're straightforward. We look at each other and stared at each other, and it sort of spoiled the vibe, and we all went our separate ways. Yeah, it's like, cool, the intimacy's now weird. Yeah, because she was hitting on my drummer, who was tall and handsome. Shout out to you, John. But he had a pseudo-girlfriend back home, so he was, like, not doing that stuff. Yep. You yep. know, so... uh Actually, he did dump her so he could be single on tour, but then he felt so guilty about it, he didn't do anything on tour. You know, I did the exact same thing on tour. <laughs> uh, I, I was had a, a new chick I was seeing, and really quickly, you pop a couple staple lines, and you're like, you know what? This isn't working out. Because <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm going to be on tour for the next year, and that's definitely not the, the name of the game. Martial arts tour? Uh, uh, New York Hardcore. You play music too, so uh, I'm, I'm a classic. I'm a classical and jazz trained saxophonist. Oh, you cunt! You motherfucking cunt! Yeah, I'm, I'm a fucking cult train dude. What did as, you say? As well I as a Bach. You. What's that? What did you say? I can't hear you. What did you say? What did yeah, you dude, say? I can't hear you. So oh. I, I, classically trained, but then I'm, I've been into punk rock and metal since I was a kid, and uh, I got a gig as a roadie with the New York hardcore band Madball. And have you, ever, have you ever heard of Agnostic Front or Madball? No, but my buddy sang for a band called An- Annihilator. Annihilator. Yeah, that, that sounds more metal, but that's definitely probably in the same vein. They played a Bach. And, and my guitarist currently for the last couple of years and who I'm going to see soon again is Gunter Schultz from KMFDM. Nice. So there you uh, go. we're going to be putting out a, a couple new uh, songs for the first time in years. Hey, dude, Renaissance men all around. Music, well, different just, languages, theology, fucking martial arts. Right, you know, we're we're priests and warriors and poets and <coughs> and saxophonists. Apparently, I always wanted to play saxophone, but it never took to me. But then I picked up a trumpet, and it was like it did take to me. So I have a trumpet right next to me, but I, it's it's slow going, brother. Especially since I jam out on other instruments a lot as well. Like I, I'm an Illin piper, which is according to the OED. Uh, the hardest instrument in the world to play, but I disagree. I think it just has the steepest learning curve. So, like you know, you can play. I can play professionally on this instrument in North America, but when I go back to Ireland and go do lessons, I'm sitting in classes with like twelve year old girls. It's it's embarrassing, dude. And that's just amazing showing the 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 level the the, the bar, right? How the bar is different when you're amongst um, neophytes compared to adepts. Right, and I think magical work is like that too. You go online and Facebook on all these little magical Facebook groups, and everyone's just sharing like 
these basic bitch memes about like everything's nice and spiritual and it's just like and then you get around some like people who've been doing hardcore magic for 20 years and it's a completely different vibe and the level of language and discussion and the things you're discussing are just it's completely different right yeah and you know as teachers of course you and me probably both uh uh, have a different take on it than more intermediate stage people who get upset to see the newbies coming along or people with insufficient experience to, to, to know what they're talking about when they make a lot of those silly posts and memes. I saw, mm-hmm. I saw a silly one today saying like to really understand Goetia, you have to re- accept the fact that what you're doing is true black magic. And I was just like, what? Yeah, that's a, you know, that depends on, on what your definition of black magic is, you know? I mean, the like, obviously the, I think the poster doesn't really have the same view. I would. Definitions for black magic. I mean, if you want right. to, if you want to do the white gray black thing, it's simple. Black magic is designed to hurt someone else. Gray magic is just magic that affects someone else, good or bad. And white magic is magic you do on yourself. Or magic that is beneficent. To sure. the world in general. Exactly. You know, uh, tikkun, healing prayers, tonglen, stuff like that. Yeah, so the only, the weird thing is if some people would say if you're doing magic, good magic for a good reason on someone else, it might not be really white. It might be a little gray. I can say that. I can see that. You, you need consent for sure. Yeah, you know? So, so, you know, like with pe- for people like us, like I've never done magic on someone else without their consent. Of I've, course not. I've not no even way. dabbled in the dark stuff. Uh, I was talking- no, not, even, not even a prayer for someone else unless it's been consented or they ask for prayers. You know what's interesting about my Roman Catholic friends is they ask if they can pray for you. Isn't that interesting? Yep. Well, Catholicism is naturally thaumaturgical. It is naturally a cult. I mean, that's one of the big reasons for the, the Reformation was they were saying that the Catholics are becoming more and more pagans. They're becoming more, more and more magical and turning away from the true teaching of Jesus, which I don't believe at all. But that was one of the arguments made, right? Yeah. The argument's still made today amongst, like, fundamentalists in America. Absolutely. <clears throat> it's, uh, the Mass really is, is a modular ritual that epitomizes, I see it, as the fusion of thaumaturgy and theurgy because you're creating this wonder of the transubstantiation for the purpose of consummation and theurgical theosis and divinization of yourself. Yourself and others. Yeah. But it is primarily for yourself. I I really do believe the mass as at least as a new priest, it's a practice for themselves, for themselves to understand gnosis and understand what it is they are doing, what it is they've been through. And then maybe there's a different stage afterwards where doing mass for other people shifts. Do you know what I mean? Yep. But I really do think in the beginning stages of being a priest, it's all about the priest understanding what the fuck is going on. Right. And a lot of people don't realize that the primary daily work of a priest is to perform the mass every day, even yep. and often just for themselves. Yeah, and that's for- why we've made a... We've made a daily mass in, Mar- in OMS for uh, the idea that priests will be doing this every day. And we want to eventually trim it down shorter and give it to our initiates, our lower grade members, so that they can start doing the mass themselves. Not saying that they're priests, not saying they're, everything's happening the way it should, but at least as a practice of blessing their food, of a practice of a moment of guiding them towards it. Yeah. So, like, the Assyrian Eucharist, which is developed out of the neophyte initiation and the partaking of the four elements, mm-hmm. that became my central activity 
uh, as a, as a young adept. And it's something I've taken with me throughout the rest of my life, especially as I went through mainstream exoteric priestly training. And I was just like, yeah, this is the, the great mystery of mysteries. Well, that is the beauty of the Eucharist of Osiris. It is so utterly simple. It's, there's not this long buildup that takes 90 minutes to get to the money shot. You know, no. the Eucharist for Osiris, it's, it's just right there. You know, you should probably do some banishing, probably some prayers, invocations, and stuff like that beforehand. Yeah, yeah. But it's so simple. Well, purify, consecrate, and that could be with just water yeah. and fire. And exactly. In, or it can be LBRP, BRH. And then, like, you know, it's nice to do a little watchtower, and the watchtower naturally flows into the the uh, the Eucharist. And uh, I think that is the summum bonum of ritual work for me. Anyway, mm-hmm. it's the bedrock of my practice. Of course, that isn't to say I don't also then do all these other crazy rituals all the time. Right? Of course, like, yeah. The, the higher work is is fascinating and is very very beneficial. But people people don't realize that they're given all the true keys in the neophyte. They're given all the true keys in the first degree of Martinism. And you, you know, me and Mark used to have this joke that all the other degrees are punishment degrees <laughs> for fuckers who didn't get it. <laughs> oh, I like, like that. You know, like, you didn't get it? Okay, we're going to punish you with, like, 10 more degrees. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. But at the same time, taken as a whole, it's, it's, it's just a necessary beginning. It's just a, a first salve of the salve curricular process. So was your first uh, initiation in Hermetic Order of the Morning Star? My first initiation was in Freemasonry. Oh, you're a Mason first, eh, brother? Yeah, Mason first. But so... I, I stepped on the magical path very young. Um, I had a teacher in dude, elementary I wish school. We had met back then. What's that? I wish we had met back then. I know, dude. I wasn't in Texas till 2007, though. Well, I was never in Texas, but yeah. I mean, I guess you were you were at the power the 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 power weeks in California, right? I was in L.A. all the time, all yep. the fucking time, and I yep. was being flown around. Like you know, if there was an event in the internationally, I was one of the top teachers on the list to fly there right you know because mainly because of my lecture on saint john of the cross and and the dark knight and the cleapoat um that sort of really like that was the that was the first thing i did where adepts were really taking notice of me they were like who the fuck is this guy yeah (laughs) who's this kid (laughs) that's awesome so like i didn't reach notoriety like that till much later you know as a kid in grade school i had an awesome teacher I was in a gifted program, had her for four years, and she she guided us through Greek, Roman, and uh, Greek and Roman mythology, doing plays, so doing, like, rituals of the equinox and the solstice, you know, dressed up as the gods, taking on god forms and, like, performing these rituals. Oh, awesome. We didn't know what we were doing. We were just performing ritual, like, plays, right? Uh, and, then, and then into the Chronicles of Narnia and doing the same thing. So, like, oh. by, by sixth grade, we dabbled into Greek, Roman, and Christian mysticism. You know, so then naturally, that's, that's a big part of Waldorf education, actually. Yeah, dude. I think every kid needs a classical grounding like that, a, a grounding in classical education, classical virtues, and uh, Greek and Greek writings. Yeah, it's it's a little bit weird to see people uh, eager to throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to universities and academics. These days. people saying you don't need university to get a job. It's like university. Like if it's like, what do you think? Every, do you think everyone at university is like in BCom? Like, right. like, how do you think we should not have people who are experts in romantic poetry or Chaucer or I that's don't what know. Mark and I did. Oh, Mark wow. and I went to college together. He, uh, really? 
Yeah, we, we, he, we lived together for years. Mark, um, you and Mark fucking did it? Well, what do you mean by did it? <laughs> I'm joking on his motto. Mark Fecunditus. So you're speaking about Stetzer, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, not, to, not to put him too much on the map. Hey, he don't, he don't oh, mind. Don't pay attention he, to this guy I haven't seen in 20 years. He don't mind. Uh, so, he doesn't mind. He doesn't mind. So we, we went to school together. We went to community college. Um, uh, I, was, I was there when he got his associate's degree, his 20-year-long two-year degree. <laughs> Dude, that's, I, someone who, that's someone who you know really enjoyed college. Yeah, and same thing. Dude, I took 10 years to get my bachelor's, you know, and it's because I enjoyed it, dude. Yeah. He, he and I changed our majors again and again. We, I, I was first, it was English writing, classical literature, poetry, uh, specifically romantic, the romantic era. Me like, too. I started my, I was going to do my PhD in romantic poets. And the reason I didn't is because the teacher I had who did exactly what I wanted to do, like uh, philosophy and romantic poetry, he said my first English uh, lit class, he said, do you know what I could, I would do folks if I could do it all again? And no one guessed, but my best friend, Sophie, who I was slightly in love with, she, she said theology. And he was like, yes, yes. And I was like, and it was, to me, that was like a slap in the face. Cause I was like, Oh shit! Am I am I maybe on the wrong path? So right. I dropped out of college. I, I spent most of my time in the gym and, and in Taekwondo club and and ninjutsu class, skipping my classes anyways because the teachers weren't so good at first year college compared to what I had experienced with the master teachers at Waldorf High School. And mm-hmm. so I, I dropped out, focused on my Golden Dawn work and getting into Adeptude that year. And then I applied for grad school. And fortunately, I'd written that, that thesis, the Celtic Mysteries of Yeats, and, and challenged my BA and, and bounced into a master's program. So I was very lucky, but I also, I also created my own luck there. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like I had girlfriends or social lives that whole time. I, I was pretty... You were uh, dedicated. You are focused. I was... I, well, people thought there was something wrong with me. Something, <laughs> like, my family thought there was something wrong with me, too. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Me and Mark just, we spent all of our days, we'd wake up, smoke a joint immediately in the morning, and then uh, we, would, we would get into a ritual state, then we'd get into a studying state, and then we'd go to school, we'd come home, do some fighting, do some fencing, and then do That's ritual cool. work all night. Oh yeah, dude! I kicked his ass for the the first place at the. So, so that's the that's the one martial art that I'm actually good at. <laughs> I, t- I I was fencing since age twelve, and I actually taught at the University of British Columbia. I taught at the University what? of Galway. When I was twenty, I retired my right hand and started only fencing with my left hand. And so for like six months, how curly of you? People were starting to beat me. Well, I was like just I w- I just wanted to see if the Inigo Montoya thing was actually possible. Uh-huh. And after about six months or a year. I started not being able to be beaten on my left hand. And from that point on, I said, if you want to fence me on my right hand, you have to beat me on my left. And I didn't fence on my right hand for the next seven years. Well, you know what, dude? That's, that's something like in boxing. Boxing is one of the only martial arts, if we called them, I would call it a martial art, just like fencing, where you only train one side. In karate and taekwondo, judo, everything else, you train every side, every direction, every way. Well, you better, right? because people are going to try and kick your head from every side. Yep, and you're gonna you're gonna kick their head from every side. You I know. I, I've never understood that about boxing. Is why like boxers just refuse to do southpaw or to switch 
to orthodox. Like you, you got to do both, man. Yeah. And, and magic's the same way. You got to work every force. You got to work every angle of it. You have to have the light. You have to have the darkness. You have to have the joy. You have to have the crass. You have to have the, the, the reverence. You have to have all those things. Because otherwise, it's very, very easy for people to turn into these one-sided... What was the term you said earlier for when you were so sure of yourself? Douchey? <laughs> that is better. You, 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 used, you used a great philosophical term earlier. But yeah, you become a douche, man. When you get these people who are like so self-righteous, and it's usually new converts, right? When, uh, I, was young, I, when I was young, I definitely used my, my mind to beat people up a little bit here and there. And if it, there was definitely a period in which, cause I was, I was very bullied and beaten a lot as a kid. And, and when I discovered that I had this, this intellectual capacity, there was a few, there was a period of time in which sometimes I would just slaughter someone if I could in class or, or in life, you know, but then, you know, then actually, you know, I, I did the same with my fists. I was bullied. Was growing up and, well, and, and know, I'm still little. So it's when I we, definitely had that phase. When we first establish the beginnings of our human power, whatever area that is in, we have to it's it's almost like it's almost like necessary ego, almost like the the red and the white work, how they purify each other. Like, you know, in Practicus in the Golden Dawn, you think it's this watery grade, but it's actually very fiery. Yep. And then you get into philosophist, shin and race and to be fire. But it's actually more watery, and you're like, what is going on here? Yep. It's like that is part of the mystery of the paradox of alchemy. And you need to have that ego so you can purify the ego. If you don't develop your power, you're not going to learn how to use it responsibly. And you need, you need power almost to teach you compassion and yes. to teach you humility. Yeah, you need to go down the darkness. And, you know, I had some really dark years, and I appreciate that because that gave me compassion for the downtrodden, you know. And in the Golden Dawn Outer Order, if people don't exhibit some, like, some kind of crazy nefesh shit at certain points, you're like, you're not doing the work. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like, two not – going back to the whole, like, thinking magic's not real in the beginning. Neophytes, even 110, they're like, I'm just screaming at the wall. (laughs) <laughs> until a certain point. And it seems like most people that's one ten or two nine, really, when you said you're not in the earth anymore, you're, you're in the air when you're flying, when you pull up into the astral and you have your first real astral experiences, usually two nine for a lot of people, that's when you know magic's real. Then the ego inflation starts to happen because now you're above the one tens and two nines. And then three, eight, you start crying like a little bitch. Right. And then four, seven, people become kind of assholes. Well, they like, get, all of those are natural things. You know, it's always funny, right? Because, you know, when you get to 4-7, which is the last grade of the Golden Dawn, the final graduating grade, yep. we give you the title honored. We call you an honored fratter or soarer. It's like and the joke's built into the system. almost like a big fuck you to the initiate. It's like yep. you are now <laughs> honored, and you see their head explode, and yep. you see how they start treating their fellow fratters and soars and fellow initiates, and and they don't realize the jokes on them. Yep. There's a lot of that in the golden dawn. There's a lot of things where like people think something's happening and it's like the opposite. Well, it's like, yeah, we go through the grades of the four Sephira through the astral triangle. And then you get to portal. It's like, Nope, you're still in Malkut, bitch, bitch. Ooh, that's supposed to be a secret for some people. <laughs> I've already given it away on this podcast. So yeah, I, yeah. it's all out there. Um, there. There are no more secrets in the golden dawn, but it's fun to, well, that's one of the ones that is really, I do have the, the opinion that there are some things that if you 
if you if you get if they're given away to you like that then you won't have the experience of it the effect Agreed. never happened and that's one of the ones that i think is sort of borderline if you tell someone that it can affect their experience but i don't think it's as a big a giveaway as some of the other things that most of us do keep secret and that yes. is really meant to be experienced but like when i see all these people pic- posting pictures and I'm buying like, you know, little aesthetic store-bought Rose Cross llamas and posting the pictures everywhere. And I, that's what, what I'm like, why are you doing that? Like, do you, do you actually think, like, do you think posting the, this most sacred of symbols for this order, do you think, well, sure, if you just want to have fun and take the piss, that's fine. But the more you, like, I, once I joined the Golden Dawn, I didn't look at books. I would make sure I'd close my eyes when I flipped through pages of Regardies, whatever, or this or that or the other thing. I would, if someone's left their grade book out, none of us would flip through someone's higher. Oh, hell no. Because you're only spoiling it for yourself. Yourself. I mean, like, like actually Marilyn Motherbear, who's part runs the order of the, the cauldron of the Western sea, which is, I was working with them based out of uh, California this last year and doing the Eleusinian mysteries. And uh, I, I miss them all very much, but she would say something really, she's 82. She's like been around the block in the pagan community. So hardcore. Like she, she first did acid with Leary out of a test tube. Oh my God. Right. So she, you know, that's what I love about working with these, these elders in the magical school, like granny rainbow or Rissa Victor or, or mother Marilyn mother bear, or just any of these other elders, because they've seen so much, they've lived through so much. They have a lot to teach us. And she said to me, Something that I, for some reason, I couldn't believe I'd never heard it before. She said, the mystery is the experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's completely true. The mystery is not something you're told. The mystery is the experience of it being told in the right time. And you cannot be told it. You you can and and the the higher things you mentioned that we should not mention you know what I mean, like sure everything's published people can flip through a book, well, not, you know they we never did but one of my biggest struggles with some of my most bright students is like when they go hey man I found this thing online and it says this I'm like dude why the fuck are you reading that like well, you know, and it's I, not that we're controlling don't read that it's like dude you're just gonna spoil it for yourself you yeah, have to. You have to go through the experience yourself. Why do you think people, okay, so some of us don't want to spoil these things for ourselves, but some people, there's especially this trend today I see with my, my, my close friends. I have close friends who are gen millennial, or I guess you're a millennial technically, but gen, gen millennials and gen Z. I have some close friends who are gen Z, like actual friend friends, not kids who look up to me, friends. I have friends who are that young and they're getting older day by day. It's, it's almost like I'm aging. I don't know what's happening. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but, you know, they, they have this one tendency. So I was hanging with my one buddy, Seth, and his mom's a award-winning poet in Vancouver and a PhD and very smart lady. And so I, I, he has a lot of knowledge and wisdom that a lot of people I haven't met, but I've noticed a, a new resurgence of wisdom in Gen Z that, that is surprising and delightful at the same time. But I notice this one quality which is they seem to just want knowledge given to them they don't really want to work for it so i was hanging out with right. him on on salt spring island for a few days we were doing a little retreat at some at at this these witch couple he was house sitting for these two witch guys uh, these two gay witch guys who were amazing and and i went to visit him and he was one day asking me to show him the lbrp again and to walk him through some ritual work and i didn't really want to for some reason like you know, like, why didn't I? And I said to him, I was like, well, you know what? I need this document that I'm going to release 
typed up. And it was the one on the seven deadly sins and the Klepot and St. John of the Cross, right? And it's, I'm holding my five equals six publication for Corpus Christi on that paper. I'm like, do you want to type this up? Which to you or me back in the day, if like, if like, you know, if Ramses or someone else like that handed you some like freaking document like that and said, will you type this up? You'd be like, sir. Yes, sir. You'd be in, well, you would be, yeah. everyone would be scrambling and people would be pit. Other people, even if they were actually pretty evolved with like, absolutely. I'll fucking off. write that up. Other people would be pissed off that you got to write that up. Yeah. Right? And do you know what he said? He's like, Oh, I don't really feel like it. Can you just tell me what it's about? I'm like, it's a 30 page document and that's cool. Don't worry about it. Don't well, and that's the thing is that like about it. everyone wants summaries now. And I think that's a, that's a part of like our attention spans in the 21st century and with cell phones and TikTok and fucking 30 second clips. Like people don't want to read a thousand page book anymore. They don't want to notice that on page 563, there's a bomb dropped, you know, that's, that will transform your entire life, but you have to read the, the entire thing to understand it. You know? Well, it's like when I listen to, when I listen to a lot of, uh, pot, one of the things I like about YouTube is I can speed things up. So if I'm listening to like marketing information or a, a lot of information, I'll, I'll speed it up to 1.25 or 1.50 even and hear it quite quickly. But when I listen to things like Glitch Bottle or something like that, I listen to it regular speed because I know I need to hear everything very clearly because I know there's only going to be one or two pearls in there that will actually affect me in a transformative way. But if I don't listen com- with complete attention, I know, I guarantee I'm going to miss them. And then what's the point? What's yep. the point? Yeah. Then it's just spiritual masturbation. Yeah. It's why I released all my earlier writings, uh, from those, my golden dawn years, uh, as all these different fragmentary documents without editing, uh, or e-manuscripts as I call them on Kindle. That's why I threw them out there like that. One, it's, it's makes it more annoying for people who want to just copy them and throw them on archive.org, right? It's like, Oh shit, this stuff's barely even edited. It looks like a teenager wrote it. Huh, shocker. And why would they just copy and paste it? Right. And it, but it also, what it does is it tests the person. It's like, I know there's not, it's, I know it's not nonstop golds and jewels and gems in that material, but there are pearls in it and you need to sort of do a work. If you don't work for the pearl, it doesn't, it has no value. Yep. That's why it's called the pearl of great price. Pearl of great price. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. according to the hymn of the pearls, what we are sent down here to re- reclaim, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm very, I, I, I care. And I think a lot about how we teach. Like I spent most of my high school years and golden dawn years, which were the same. Um, not just listening to my teachers in Golden Dawn or in high school, but I spent a lot of my time in those classes paying attention to how they taught, like to the pedagogical structure of the Uh way they interacted Uh with students and shared information and thought, how are they doing this well and how could it be done better? And by challenging myself intellectually like that while listening to oftentimes inane banter between a teacher who knows their shit and a student who's just trying to kill time and run out the clock, I would learn things between in in, about how the teacher guides them. I would see things and like deep structures within the nature of dialogue and language and behavior and most of communication isn't speech anyway right and and i would see things and i would learn things that you would never think you could see and learn from that interchange and that's true learning it's hard to communicate the value of that i think today to people 
And I, I, th- I struggle with that all the time. Well, and that's why in-person is so important. And, you know, I think we've all pivoted very well to the online, to the podcast, to all these different formats during the, the COVID era. But there is something inestimable about one-on-one ritual, Not something inestimable about a, a gathering of people together with maybe a few key points, but then the magic is in the discussion. The magic is in what pops out of each individual, what it brings out of the, you know, the neophyte might drop a bomb on the adept in natural discussion. And that, that can't be fabricated. It has to happen organically, right? Well, yeah, we, as we all know from teaching, we learn way more as teachers than as students, actually. Yep, I've always said that. And I've always said that I want my students to become better better than I than I am. Like, whether it's my martial arts students or Golden Dawn or Martinist students, that they become better adepts than we were, that they go through a better process than we did. They don't have the, they don't go through the pitfalls and their dark night of the soul is better than ours was. It's shorter, it's cleaner, it's less destructive, things like that. For sure. Yeah. Well, you so know, what, I, what was your Golden Dawn experience? So, you know, initiating to free, initiating to Freemasonry, uh, waited till I was 21 because in Arizona you had to be 21. Um, I moved to Texas right before I turned 21. Here it was 18. So Freemasonry, um, very early on at a Christmas party, I met, uh, I won't say any names, but I met an adept of the Golden Dawn who uh, gave me the book Cobblestick Tarot by Robert Wang. Okay. And it was just, it was over. <laughs> like, I'm sold. You know, I was already into tarot for years from my uh, younger studies as a teenager on witchcraft and stuff like that. So I was sold with the idea of the tarot applying to this new concept of the tree of life. I'd already been studying Gnosticism for years independently. I uh, went to a few Gnostic churches that were just totally whack and was not anything I wanted to be involved in. But this looked like what I really wanted. It was a structured, intellectual, high-minded form of um, categorization of the universe in the very beginning for me, like 32 filing cabinets, you know? So joined the, I joined through the SRC, the Solidaritas Rosie Crucis, the group that uh, Ooh, Jeff you, was mentioning. Yeah, you joined with Tommy Westland. Yep, yep, yep. Went through that from Neophyte up to 5, 6, and beyond. And um, it was the most amazing years in my life. Like, I, I hate saying that because, I mean, the years right now are the best, right? But they were they, oh, I, so filled with magic when you're young and you're new to all of it, right? Oh, I, I, I missed, I, I like, you know, I never left my order, right? I never left. I'm the, I'm the only person who never left leave and never be expelled. I'm a, I'm a weirdo in that way, which is why they all don't know how to deal with me. I think <laughs> I didn't you know, it was, it's the straight, you know, and you can only understand what happened by hearing the whole story. And I've already told that story. Of course. Edward's esoteric nerd uh, back. I, th- I think Contreras is kind of like you with that too. Contreras is really good about keeping ties even after all the schisms. Yeah, who did he keep ties with? Like, he still talks to Griffin. You know what I mean? <laughs> Does he? Yeah, <laughs> from what I know. I just, got some, I just got sent some screenshots from a private Griffin uh, 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 lecture where he goes off about how he did send back magic, and the next day E.A. Kurting, Kuwaiting, was in a car crash. Could you imagine being... That's fucking horrible. 
who likes who like you do magic to send back negativity and then you just look for tragedies that have randomly befallen someone in Dude, life and you that, that's that's that. fucking horrible that's fucking horrible He's such I, hate, a, I hate that shit why well I, I don't need to I don't I don't need yeah to, we don't we don't need to go there but why yeah Jeff talks to him but like yeah, I mean it's worth keeping an eye on these people it's like people keep oh for eye, sure people keep an eye on Andrew Martini and I didn't know why because I actually thought he was a good dude and then I was found myself in this exchange online with him and some other people including Sam Scarborough and, and such and next thing you know I, I thought Martini was a cool dude because I didn't know he was with Griffin and I, I knew he was in Bujinka unlike me and, and had the fifth Dan and done that admirable test and then all of a sudden in the comment stream he says yeah Sam Scarborough you're just a fat faggot fuck and I'm like holy shit Right. What the hell is going on? Like, this is someone who's supposed to be a Golden Dawn adept, well, in Griffin's order, whatever that means, those neo-Nazi fuckers. Right. And, uh, and, and, uh, you try to make everyone else look like neo-Nazis. <laughs> I'm, I, I, I will keep, like, because he actually committed a crime against me in person at, in my home, I will continue to bear testimony against his, who he is as a person. Cause not many other people can do it because he didn't like that. He could sue them for slander or for libel or whatever, but he can't with me. That's the reason he's never actually sued me and never can because there was 20 other people there when he broke and ender and assaulted, uh, our, our, our phylax. And us, right? Like she almost ran him through and I'm sure she'll hear this. She's on Instagram now, which is great. We're going to hang out and have coffee soon. And she, (laughs) she didn't, the reason she didn't run him through is she didn't know who he was because Mm -hmm. most of us didn't actually pay attention to him because we saw him as a clown. What we didn't know was that he was a dangerous clown. Like I was the proctor for Jose, Jorge Hevia. Um, And then he left and then, went over to Griffin and then a bunch of other people just kept spying like all these shenanigans. Now I have sort of vowed to not talk about the negative stuff from these things. Anymore. And that, that's kind of where I'm at. Cause yeah. I've, I've, I've sort of covered it. I want the, I want the warnings to be out there. People, people need to not like these groups, these orders aren't cults, but you can turn anything into a cult if you want it to be a cult. Yep. You just this is to supposed to be occult, not a cult. Yeah. Just yep. you start acting culty, then you've made it a cult. Yeah. Make everyone shave their head for their portal degree, right? Well, I had to do that because I was so egotistical during. The- <laughs> yeah, you're you're the story Mark told me about. <laughs> well, Marcel had to do it before me, and and so did so did Martin. But, but then I- it became it became a pattern after that, right? Well, if your ego is sort, if you if like I when I was in the alchemy of the portal grade and I was held in portal for a year and a half. And then even after my five, six initiation, I wasn't allowed to tell people I had been initiated in five, six until I, for, for a year after that. So for two and a half years, people thought I was just stuck in portal. Mm-hmm. But there was an early, and that's a bitch when it comes to order politics, eh, sort of and um, people's and people's projections. I mean, yes. Well, well, what they had me also doing, they also gave you know under. Uh, they also had me not just uh, shave my head for three months, which which was fine because it turned out I had a really nice round head. I loved my hair, but it was nice <laughs> to find that out because little did I know I would lose my hair, and I don't. I didn't know. Didn't see that coming. I was boy. Always, you sure got a pretty head, boy. Boy, I tell you what. Why don't you come over here and drop them drawers? <laughs> Take them right off. 
So, but they also gave me disciplines like for one day, the head shaving was nothing one day. And this is, this might sound culty to people, but it's, it's, it's not, it's, 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 it's a, I, I can't even explain it. It's just going to sound that way, but so be it. Um, there's spiritual discipline and you can only achieve certain spiritual discipline if you have a certain degree of obedience to a spiritual mentor look what happens in orthodox in 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 orthodox monasteries in buddhist in any monastery of any mainstream religion around the world and then compare that to what we've been through it's like you think people have to remember it's fucking normal the key thing people have to remember especially in magical orders is is that none of those things should ever go against your conscience. So if someone says, shave your head, that's not going to go against your conscience. Or the other thing I was told, I was told that I had to sweep and mop every inch of the place, all 3,000 square feet every day for a year in Portal. And I was like... That's pretty basic when it comes to Zen, right? I've been in Portal for nine months. Are you saying I'm going to be in Portal another year? And they were like... They're like, we can't answer that. And they can't answer that. They can't. You're a probationary for the inner order, and you have no right to be initiated into it, right? People are wanting you to be at a certain stage. So when I was told to sweep and mop every inch for of 3,000 square feet every day, that meant I would have to, like, I'd be, even if I was an hour drive away at midnight playing Dungeons & Dragons with my friends, I would have to drive an hour sweep him off the place and then drive back. Mm-hmm. Or if, if it was eight in the morning, I'd ha- if there was an initiation that day, I'd have to get up at eight in the morning, sweep and mop the whole place. And then when the temple officers for the initiation came in at nine to start cleaning, they'd be like, you know, I'm going to sweep him off anyway. And I was like, Oh yeah, no, you still have to. And I still had to, don't worry. It's not about being clean. It's about it's something else. Yeah. Well, hey, wax on, wax off. That's the whole Miyagi lesson. There is something to that. It was a wise thing, you know, because it allowed the members to see the transformations that were actually occurring within me at that time in that grade. And it made sense to me that I was held in portal for so long because, you know, I joined at 15, blasted through the grades like a superstar. And all of a sudden I was in portal at 18 before I graduated high school. Wow. Right. So it's like, yeah, that's. I'm sorry. They, they actually <laughs> needed me to be infused with this alchemical fire and a bit of ego, so that it would actually bring those. It's almost like that that heat brought out aspects of my persona that I otherwise might not have encountered for years to come. Right, right. and and being so young, you need to be actually treated a little bit harsher to yeah. make those things to make yourself mature faster. Right. Yeah. They were dead right. They were dead right. And I had one of the harshest 5-6 initiations that's ever happened. I mean, that sounds a lot like me growing up training in martial arts, you know. I was teaching since I was 12. And you just, it's grind, man. It's grind day in, day out. You know, I was doing marching band at 5.30 in the morning. And then marching band in the afternoon. Then teaching for three hours at night. Like, it's just the shit you got to go through if you want to become excellent. If you want to become not just average, but become superior. Or become a true renaissance man, become a master of your art, right? Well, and that's why you're able to just go on vacation, as you just did, and post pictures of you doing like a 25-foot jump kick on the beach. Yep, and that's me out of shape. (laughs) (laughs) You're like jumping at my head level or higher, I look like, doing a jump kick, and you look like a golden god. And it's like, I just saw that, I'm like... I love him. I love him. I've never <laughs> met him. We've never spoken on the phone before, but I love this man. That's what I thought when I saw that fucking picture. I was like, I love him more than his wife. 
And, you know, I love this discussion, dude, because this is just you and I, I knew we were going to sink right away. And then five minutes in, it's like, oh, yeah, we're two fucking very active, very intelligent, very fucking energetic people. We're, we sink like this, you know? Well, I don't know why, but I'm glad we do. Yep. Hey, do you mind if I take um, uh, five? Yeah, no, absolutely. I was going to say, I definitely got to come, come down to Texas, man. You got to. You got to come to Texas. Find myself a wife, become American. You do. Do you do? Right. I just want to. Can we do a bathroom break real quick? You would. Oh, so, recording back now. Yeah. Yeah. Where so, were we, dude? Regarding was... Texas, you were saying you got to come down to Texas, find yourself a wife. <laughs> I was joking, but but you know, <laughs> I'm I'm open to love in all its shapes, forms, and sizes. No, I want to come to Texas, and and I, uh, who knows where someone like me is going to end up living, given the state of the world these days. But you know, um, Texas is a good place to be, man. I definitely want to come to Texas because I have so many friends there and clearly new friends like, like you. So one thing, do you know the degree of your ascendant? It, it, off the top of my head, man, it's probably like 18, something like that. So apparently my Venus is on top of your ascendant, mm-hmm. and that would explain it, uh, why uh, we connect astrologically. Hmm. I mean, I can pull that up because my Venus is in Capricorn, and that—that's the key word for that is loving through building. And so, if my Venus is in Capricorn, you're in a Capricorn with—I uh, can't remember what you said, but my uh, so my, my, my mom my, remembered it. Was that your mom behind you? That's awesome. She's I, yeah. She she jumped on and said hi to Jeff. I love that. That was yeah, so we, cool. We, we have a telepathy just like any uh, son and Benny Jesuit mother. That is so cool. So uh, it's 14 degrees Capricorn, and then Mars is 18 degrees Capricorn, conjuncting ascendant. So four degree orb. You'll have to do your chart sometime. Yeah, I'll send you my info for sure. Hmm? Hi, Mom. Uh, hi, is your Mars in the 12th house or the first house? First house, conjunct. Oh, that makes sense. All yes. And with that, I have a lot of facial wounds. Mars conjunct the ascendant is very common to have facial wounds down the center of the face. And I've got a split forehead from getting hit with a metal pole as a kid. I've got busted nose seven times from boxing. I've got a hole. I had a hole in my lip. I've had all kinds of facial wounds from fighting and skateboarding. Good sense sometimes, especially <laughs> as a young person. Yes, ma'am. Yes, especially <laughs> as a young person. And you know, my nose was always broken in the ring. <laughs> and usually by my master who was 6'4", 240 when I was buck 20 and, you know, five foot four, like I am still just about <laughs> five, four. Wow. Now I'm five, I'm five, five these days. So give, give me that inch. <laughs> I, I, I love friends who are shorter than me. It's rare. So I'll treasure you forever, brother. <laughs> you know, I've, I've been short my whole life. I don't even notice anymore. Like someone will be six, five and I'm like, what's up? They're like, you're short. I'm like, am I? Oh, didn't you're notice. Like, you're like, I can still kick you in your head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you got to come to Texas, man. Um, I, you know, it was so close. I had the, the, like, literally in California this last year, the car was packed and ready to go on my book tour when, when, when things locked down. And then it was packed and ready to go again to Austin doing all these bookstores on the way. I remember that. And the yeah. laws prevented it from even being legal to do that. And I was like, was it, was that from, from in February, I went from being at the height of my career to being like basically near bankrupt. So that's been, been a disaster, but it's you been know, a disaster for a lot of people. I'm sorry, man. Well, yeah, no, I can't complain, man, because there's so many people who are so fucked. It's not even fucking funny. Yep. Right. People, like, yep, yep. like I'm blessed. I'm not fucked. I might like, 
no, I'm not fucked. I'm blessed. Um, there's people out there seriously suffering. I was talking, uh, I had a phone call with an old friend who I reconnected with via Jason Newcomb's thing. She found me through that, and I started a new Fred or RC Facebook account since the old one was deleted because it wasn't my legal name, you know, cherry-picking who they can, who they approve and not. I've had that happen to me. I had a, a <laughs> catch-up phone call with Allison Chikoski. She just recorded two Glitch Bottle episodes that'll be out soon, and she's kicking ass and taking names in the magical world. She was actually one of the two people along with my Spanish translator and ex-GD uh, adept from Zach's uh, Toronto Golden Dawn Temple. She's in Chile, and they were on the live stream with me January 31st, uh, 2019 in Berlin for my, my little digital birthday party that I had when I was there. And so I hadn't talked to her since then, because right after that, Facebook terminated my VH Frater RC account, which cost me, of course, all the business pages I had spent thousands in ads building. And but mainly the tragedy was all the friends I lost, who I all the conversations, the people I was working with and helping, who I I just they thought I all blocked them. I'm sure they all thought I all thought I blocked them, and uh, I couldn't do anything after that. So that was very tragic. So I just talked yesterday for four and a half hours with Allison Chikoski, just as friends, and um, hearing what's going on in the magical world was uh, from her perspective was, was very, very illuminating. I lost the track of what, how, why I brought this up. What was it? Something about the States. Uh, we're talking about moving to Texas and why you were packed here trying to, well, not moving, but visiting and you were packed here trying to come twice. Yeah. It, it's uh, every, I've, I've been so close to making it to Austin to see all my, all my old friends. I want to see all my old friends, man. And I have, so you many- should, New so you know, any time's a good time. Wait, I would wait till March. So it's, it's nice and warm right now. It's so you're. Where are you in Canada? Vancouver. Like yeah, right so now, you can't even cross the border, right? Uh, it's illegal for me to go outside and talk to my friend oh my ten feet away. God, dude, that's so dude, people, horrible. I see people walking up to their gar- cars alone, taking up the mask out of their pocket, putting it on, getting in the car alone, and driving away. Yep. You know that China's fully open. They had uh, thousands of people at their New, York, New Year's Eve drop. Yeah, they they having a, yep. a second party in Tiananmen Square? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I don't know if that's actually true, man. Like, I don't believe anything that country says, and they basically own us here. Like, Yep. They're the, they're the only economy that's, that's growing this year. Isn't that crazy? Like, they're, they're, their economy is growing while everyone else is getting, getting depleted. But hey, that's that's probably more of a Jeff conversation. I don't want to really go down that route. Well, you know, you know, it's actually it's it's interesting that you say that's more of a Jeff conversation because that's part of the problem of this pol- polarization we see in the states because yep. we're not polarized like that in Canada. Like I haven't seen anyone. Um, like, I know I, a lot of polarized Canadians. Okay, well they're probably in Toronto. Fuck them. <laughs> actually, I think you're right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Dude, Toronto, we joke in Canada, we're in Canada, everyone outside of Toronto and Alberta or Calgary really jokes that like, look, we just want America to take Toronto and Calgary. Just take them. Just have yeah. them. And we don't want those. <laughs> Hell no. I mean, and saying that I have some dear friends in both places and we're just joking. It's all jokes. People. This it's is all a jokes. Show. This is it's the fresh hey. comedy hour. Yeah, that's right, man. And your special guest is Ninja Paul. Ninja Paul. That's right. That was my fucking nickname back in the day in the mosh pits. Ironic. Running around with red karate pants, no shirt, shaved head, spin kicking people in the face. 
dude, my buddies when I was in high school had a had a punk band and they would like throw chairs at their audience off the stage and pee on them. And they oh my gosh, the, yep. they were called the dirty cunts. And once they started once they started actually becoming famous, they had to change their name to play at the downtown venues. So they changed it to the DC tones. <laughs> the dirty cunts. But they would tones. still spit oh on their God. audience urinate so off funny. the stage and throw chairs at them. That is classic. That, I, that is I, awesome. I went to one of their shows once and I was like, I, I, I walked up to my buddies afterwards, like, cause they were D and D friends of mine. And I was sort of traumatized and they could see it on my face. I was like, they're like, you like the show? I was like, uh, I not sure what I just saw. They're like, well, you don't know punk. And I'm like, clearly not. You just got initiated though. Huh? You just got initiated into punk. Yeah. Um, I was like, I couldn't really understand the words you were singing, Jason. And he was like, that's the point. I was like yelling and screaming, man. And they're like, you've heard, well, you've listened to Ramones and sex pistols probably mostly. I'm like, who are they? Yeah. And and the Ramones is just like fifties rock trying. They're just trying to be a fifties rock band. You know, I was, they're not even punk. I was all about the tea party, uh, queen and, um, uh, you know, nine inch nails back then, you know, for me, Madball slayer, uh, Scarhead, Agnostic Front, and then lots of and lots and lots of NWA. Me and me and Mark actually got in some trouble uh, going to a uh, a a pool hall in the the CD part of town, um, completely African American bar, and we're like, we want to sing karaoke because it was karaoke night. We want to sing "Fuck the Police," and, and like the whole crowd just like stopped the moment the song came on. And two white boys jumped up, <laughs> and we're like we might get killed. But then like <laughs> 20 seconds in, they're like, yeah, dude, y'all can do it. Cause we do, we know that's that music, like the back of our hands. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So that Texas cool. dude, Texas, you got to come down, man. Like a really good time. Spring from, from March to October is gorgeous. Even November. But then you, you play with the idea of rain and coldness, but every September, the OMS, we do a gathering in the hill country of, in the Texas hill country, on two hundred acres of land, in three eighteen hundreds cabins, and it's five days. It's like a power week, man, and it's just, it's amazing. And, and we would, we would love to have you, even even though it's OMS. We would initiate your ass. Oh, I don't know. People have told me to join Martinism for so long, but the problem is. When I've looked, like uh, I don't know if I would, if I would, if I would vibe with the the cosmology. There's a cosmology in it that I'm not sure. So what do what do you think is different from classical Kabbalah? I don't know, but my buddy Jesse, um, who uh, is Frater C on the podcast interviews. Mm -hmm. Pardon me, just having a little GERD attack. Um, He said that after getting to know me. Um, he wasn't sure that I would, I would, I would jive with, with the, the sort of the creation story or the cosmology, but he, we didn't get into it much more after that because we were busy looking at his library. With how much you're into classical Kabbalah, especially rabbinical Kabbalah, that's, this is just essentially Luriana Kabbalah. It gets more complex than the language because these are French people in the 1700s, but uh, it is essentially Lorianic Kabbalah Neoplatonism. Um, See, I'm very anti- I'm very anti-Plato. I, I, I've never said this before on the podcast. I've only intimated it. But 
I, I don't like Platonism. I, 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 I've written extensively in academic fields against Platonism. My entire thesis and my main book is an attack on Platonic metaphysics. Well, there you go. So that, that's <laughs> problematic, perhaps, right? That, well, that's problematic for the entire Hermetic tradition, then, because so much of the Hermetic tradition and is And that's where I would disagree, and that's where I would go to Moshe Adele and the writings of philosophers like Robert Corrington, Alain Badiou, Giorgio Agamben, Slava Zizek, Jacques Derrida. Oh, how could I say Jacques Derrida? That's heresy. Oh, no. But oh, I know. In the Apada or text, I believe that difference is a very key factor in understanding the destabilization of formal metaphysics so that you can understand it from a more philosophical and or philological and linguistic um, the reality well, and that's how we use our, our myth. reality is our reality is linguistically constructed whether you want to call it a holograph or a simulation yep. our reality is is mediated it's medial and it's interpreted by our senses and by our brain and your thoughts become your words words become your actions action becomes your and i don't believe yep. that there is an ontological or an onto theological source that validates the things we think and experience I can get behind that. Um, what I would say, though, is that the way that I use all of these mythologies, whether we're talking Sethian Gnosticism, Valentinianism, um, Hermeticism, Christianity, Judaism, whatever, they are mythologies. I don't, I don't even call them theology anymore. I call them myths. And yeah, yeah, in the sense of taking it. away the, the taking away like the, the not the heaviness of it, but like the, the 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 iron fist of it, and using it as a mythological structure in your consciousness to understand your a worldview, and that worldview might be intentionally set a certain way in, in the lower grades, so that something different occurs in the higher grades. You know, just like when you join the Golden Dawn, you want to be a magician, right? And then you get to five, six, you're like, hey, you're a Christian mystic now. <laughs> it's like, psych. Surprise, Rosicrucianism. Yeah, yeah surprise, motherfucker. Um, well, that's, so, hey, uh, so you went through the Golden Dawn uh, training. This is something people would be interested in, because I do recommend a lot of people check out Sodalitas Rosea Crucis, but because of the way it's named, I think a lot of people don't realize that it has, that it is a traditional Golden Dawn order, more or less, and a, and a valid way to go through the, the outer order grades. That is true about the Sodalitas Rosea Crucis, correct? Most definitely. And I should be clear that I have retired from the Golden Dawn, um, and I am no longer a member of the Sodalitas Rosea Crucis or the Sodalitas Solus Alatae. But um, it is, for someone who is looking for a Golden Dawn path, I believe it is one of the best. And if you can find a temple near you, it's the way to go. It takes the classical Golden Dawn tradition, Specifically, Alpha and uses a lot of Alpha Omega material, but it similar to what Griffin did in Holmesy, kicks the inner order to the outer. Yeah, but it's unlike the Holmesy; it has a strong inner order, or at least in theory it does. And in theory, at the five six, you come into an inner order where there are all these other paths you can open up into. And now, there's paths of the Western Hermetic tradition you can explore that actually you go find the secret there as well and then bring it back to the center. That's how it's supposed to work mm. in practice, okay. in theory. Well, yeah, but um, I've left that to completely focus upon Martinism at this point, as yeah, well, well as a few other sense. currents. I mean, you're, you're some which are public, some which are private. <laughs> you're fairly 
advance down the, your path in the great work. And at a certain point, you have to become somewhat focused on on the things your true will is telling you to do. Like for me, like uh, it, it's tempting to like I've been invited to join several reputable Gondon orders or inner orders. The problem is one that would prevent me from speaking publicly the way I do and instructing people the way I do. It would. I'd fall back under certain vows that I couldn't break. But it would give it depends me, on the order. Depends you know, on the order. Well, and you know, SSA yeah. is definitely not like that. Jeff has told me I could do the honorary adepthood in Sadalatus Rosea Crucis and maybe actually find quite a, a, a loving place for me to participate because I do miss getting to be a part of those sort yeah. of groups and doing that ritual work. I mean, and, and just like OMS, dude, there's we aren't that kind of group where or I've had people say it to me like, I'm not a Martinist because I want to write about it. I'm like, what makes you think you can't write about it? Like, oh, it's the secrecy. Oh, people, like, people really the only. Is people don't understand what secrecy means. People don't understand what secrecy means. Let's they have no idea, that. dude. They take it literally. Because people are listening live right now, and I'm sure they're curious to be like, wait, what? What? I yeah, thought- what does an oath of secrecy mean, right? So give, a, give us your take on that. So, you know, it's very different from when you're a neophyte to an adept. And as a neophyte, you know what? Through the whole process, the secrecy, the essence of it is the magical essence of Harper Crop. It is not about not revealing the Hebrew letters. It's not about not revealing that, you know, the mystical number of Malkut is, is 55. It's not about any of these things, right? It's about learning how to keep a solid alembic, about how to, learning how to keep a sphere of sensation in which nothing comes in, nothing comes out, so you can actually have a true alchemical process. Because if you start talking about it everywhere, you're going to spoil the prima materia. That is, in the beginning, I think the essence of what secrecy is. Later on, as an as adept, like you were saying, if you join another order, you might not be able to speak freely, right? Mm. Later on, the secrecy at that point is more about knowing when and how to speak. Like we were talking earlier, you, you can't confer the mystery upon someone else verbally. You can't just tell someone a sentence and it occurs. They have to find it for themselves. And that's why I use the Socratic method. And it's all about guiding the seeker to recognizing the mystery themselves, to being able to pronounce the word themselves. You know, so the secrecy is still there, but it's in a completely different way. You know, I'm publishing books left and right about stuff that some people get upset about. And they're only getting upset because they don't understand it. You know, if they understood it, then they'd realize that it's it doesn't matter if you're publishing catechisms and rituals and shit. Because... The essence cannot be learned from reading a book. What sort of books are you putting out and have you put out? Uh, so, past few years, I've put out well over 20 books, most of them private, probably about a dozen of them publicly. Um, the main four thing people know me for is Martinus texts. Okay. So, writings of Saint Martin, writings of Pasquale and Willermose. Uh, Elo Cohen texts from catechisms to rituals to secret instructions, but also uh, Tarot of the Frere d'Orient, uh, Rose Croix d'Orient, Rosicrucian stuff from, from France, Isia, um, like Rosicrucian French texts. Not so much Golden Dawn these days. It's really primarily the French Rosicrucian current I'm working with. Do you, um, do you think the your experience going through the Golden Dawn grades up through uh, the Inner Order even though you don't aren't a part of those that group anymore, like how valuable was that? Oh, dude, it, 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 it can't be estimated. I mean, the Golden Dawn is still my first love. It, it is where I got 
interested in magic. It's where I had all my major experiences. It's where my first major experiences. It's where I found my language. You know, learning Kabbalah, you're literally you're literally learning a new language, a way to communicate your experiences to others in very, very specific terms. And uh, we've talked all night through Golden Dawn terms because it's so convenient, you know, just because we don't have, like, the Martinist vocabulary that we share. Yeah. Um, the Golden yeah. Dawn is so, so valuable, and I think it's very underestimated these days because everyone thinks it's published. And it has such a black mark because of the uh, the Internet flame wars. Yeah, yeah. Um, the idea that it's public... so. That's one thing I've realized. I always, I always actually did sort of agree with people when they, when I, you know, along the lines of, yeah, it's all been published. So, but except for the stuff orders have developed since then, which, you know, some people will say is, is, is invalid. They'll say the only magic that's valid is what was written down a hundred years ago, but that's a bunch of bunk and that's absurd. But now that people are actually pointedly coming to me and saying, what's the best way to do Golden Dawn on my own? Or what's the best book to learn how the system works on my own or from books? I, I think about it seriously now and I realize, well, the Regardi book is even, even the best. Was corrected by John Michael Greer. And some people like Sam Scarborough would say the corrections are, are distortions and make it wrong, whatever, who cares? But the fact is the Regardi book is, is in my experience, the best, uh, almost useless. Oh, <laughs> well, uses without the initiations and the experience. And like, yeah, like it, it, it's your encyclopedia. Once you're a member it, as a member, like that's the book I flip open the most is the fifth edition or the sixth edition. Yeah. I'm not a fan of Greer seventh edition um, because me and me and a bunch of our guys, the night we got it, we stayed up all night just going like wrong, wrong, wrong. wrong. Like just like there were, there were new typos. Like he fixed old typos that made new ones. Oh, um, do you have any for, examples uh, on the tip of your tongue? Uh, tip my tongue. I, I think I remember, like, if you look at the temple diagrams of maybe like the two nine, where like the 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 paths are wrong, like oh, like, sh- like literally typos, not intentional stuff. My mom even scoffed during that because you know she actually went from uh, our order. She then worked for years uh, helping Martin develop his with Pat Zaleski. Mm-hmm. Unbeknownst to me, the entire time. Wow! And she got your mom was doing some shit behind your back. That's awesome. Because because Temple Dehudi fell apart before she got to go through Portal, I encouraged her, and she went through Portal, flying out to Montreal, and she went through Portal with two adepts, with Martin, of course, and Sam Robinson, the only Portal initiation those two ever did together. Sam That's Robinson awesome. and Martin Tebow initiating her into Portal in Montreal. Wow. Wow. I'm very glad she got to do it. And you know what it actually ironically also means is that she has more lineage back to the original order than most of us fuckers do. <laughs> Word. Yeah. Which is funny as hell. Not, you know, of course it's a joke because lineage means nothing. Of course. Of course. Sam definitely has a uh, valid stuff going on. I've always, I've always liked Sam from a distance and, and uh, I've always felt we, we could get along, but he, he does have a, a sort of an attitude along uh, most of these these leader order leaders online have these sort of strange attitudes that, that always shocks me. I, I see it even with people like Aaron Leach and stuff, which is again yeah. surprising because I, I hold them all in actually relatively high regard. Well, not people like Martin, obviously, but you know, or Griffin. Good. I, I was confused about if you were holding Martin in high no, regard. No, I do. 
Okay, um, thank God. If my mom <laughs> me, she'd probably slit his throat. Um, <clears> throat> let's, let's put it this way. He convinced my sister to go out there on a date, and hey. it didn't go well. Yeah, yeah. We don't need to go there. We all know the stories. That could be a good private talk later, but definitely not, not one of my favorite people. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um, so like there's, and that's why I bring this stuff up and still do it publicly because honestly, people can't forget this stuff. You know, I'm probably too PC. Like you've said that twice now. I'm probably too PC. I probably like am too careful sometimes. Like I don't talk my, my, about my to- politics anywhere. Well, I just don't do it. Without fears, not without tears. Uh-huh. I start yeah. this podcast with the express purpose of saying anything and everything. And I will continue to do it that way. And I hope people appreciate that because I appreciate what, it. That's why I think the long form conversation works because everyone knows that you and I could talk for one or two hours. And all we're going to touch on is the stuff you'd expect two authors and magical adepts to say. We're right. just going to say the shit that you expect us to say. But if you keep going past that point, you know for a fact they're just talking. Yep. And that's what we're doing now. That's what we're just talking. We're, this is, we're, we're going into our third hour and, or, and amen, because this is where it gets Amen. Back. Like, you know, uh, an OTO guy, a, a, a bro who I think is pretty good, even though he says some harsh stuff, shout out Holy Mountaineering. He, he was like, the end of your David Heim Smith thing, you, you lost the track or lost the, the lost the thing. I was like, I lost something? What did I lose? Well, you started swearing. You called your audience motherfuckers. And I was like, yeah, that's why they like my podcast, because they're motherfuckers. <laughs> right. Yeah. Come on, dude. But it's also... Don't take it so seriously. You know, I also think it's like something that uh, I learned in the music, in the music marketing world. There's something in music or in marketing called alienation marketing, in which the theory is it's actually easier to find your audience, your valid audience, by alienating everyone who isn't your audience than by trying to find the people positivist- positivistically. So I would say two comments on that. Number one, that's exactly what Mayhem did in Norwegian black metal, and it worked awesome. But I, I'm really against that with magical orders because I think that's become what everyone does. Really? Every order says, like, we're the only true Golden Dawn order. We're the only true Martinus order. We're the only, you know what I mean? And I think that it becomes counterproductive instead of, instead of saying we're the only true, just be like, hey, this group does A, B, and C, and be factual. We do. A to Z, you know, and be factual, like uh, prove by your actions and by your delivery rather than just like the talk. Yeah. Well, I don't see you know? people saying they're, that they're the only true order as actually employing what you would call alienation marketing. Cause by saying we're the only true order, you're, you're positivistically telling people that they need to join you no matter what, if they want the truth. Whereas if you said alienation theory would rather have you say, we're a stupid order that doesn't mean anything, but we do what we do well if you want to if you want to do this one thing. But here's ah. a better way of looking at it. Michael Malice, he said recently, I heard him say, oh, I don't know when he said it, but he said the, he, the, the reason he is such a uh, uh, sometimes problematic, I guess, in his podcasts or to his audience, the reason he'll swear and, and make fun of them is because if they can't take a joke, they really don't belong in his audience in the first place because they're not going to be ready. If, if you can't handle being called a motherfucker with love and humor, then you're not going to be ready to handle the real shit when it comes down the pipe, the good shit. 
Yeah, well, both the good shit way down the line, but also even just going through the grades with that order. If someone can't fit into the culture and understand that we're going to fucking make fun of you sometimes in a loving, gentle, kind way and make fun of each other and like crack mama jokes and all that stuff. Like you're just not going to be able to get through this. Yeah, if, like you're, you if you're too serious and tight ass, then there's probably something where you need to relax, you know? Right. So at one, so, so if you can't take a joke and if you're hypersensitive, you're not ready for this work in the first place. And part. alchemically we'd say that you, you like your, your clee needs to be broken. Your vessel needs a little, you know, it, or, your clee, your dense husk needs to be broken up so that light can come out, yeah. you know, and humor and all that stuff is one of the ways to do it. Like Mark, Mark, dude, my, my fucking one ten test. I show up at a bar and I'm, I'm so nervous. I'm so serious about, you know, my neophyte work. And I sit down. He's like, you must be Paul. I'm like, yeah. He's like, he slams a pitcher in front of me, like spills all over me. He's like, have a beer, motherfucker. You know, <laughs> like gives me my test. I'm like, that is the coolest. I, I fell in love immediately. I'm like, this is my tribe, you know, but yeah. some people could not handle that. Right. Yeah. The, and, and the thing you got to realize is like when you're working with people like us magically, you're never going to encounter, um, actual meanness or unkindness. If you encounter no. that, then you should run. Yes. If you get some weird culty, if you get that kind of stuff, yes, definitely. Where's the door? Yeah. People like, I like, I like how Mark, I'm not Mark. Abuse, uh, ritual um, abuse. Not Mark, uh, uh, Eric V. Cisco. Eric V. Cisco said it best on the Esoterinary podcast. And he's an old friend. He said, don't mistake. He threw, it was a throwaway line he said, but I thought it was gold and I've been quoting it ever since. He said, don't mistake uh, sweetness for spirituality. Agreed. And that's what I was trying to say earlier about the flowery memes. You yeah. know, don't, don't mistake someone quoting and doing some meme for gnosis. Well, it's like when you're scrying or doing any astral work, the right. first layer of the onion you always encounter is like light and love. You got to go through that. That is, that is, you got to push right through that. That is not yep. what you're looking for. And that's where you get these flaky new ager types who are all light and love because they don't actually know how to penetrate, not the veil, but any veil. They any veil. They're, they're still stuck in, in Kala. They're still stuck in Malka. And they haven't even passed through the, you know, Malka, not Malkut, which is kind of the same thing. I think a lot of people don't know what Malka is. Can you explain it to my audience? Malka, the bride, the the princess, the beauty of, and that's kind of what we started with, right? The the kingdom of heaven. It can be person. It can be shown in the world as Sophia, as the aspect of nature, as Venus, as Hathor. Yeah, yeah. It can be shown as uh, Malka, the bride, the 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 soul within yourself that you need to rescue, that you need to. Um, turn back to the Ruach to Tifra to, to marry that will, that will cause Hakam and Bina to turn away from their divorce back to love causes pernals to shine their light back down. It, it is, it is all those things, man. And Malka is your own soul. It is your partner. You can project it upon them if they're okay with that. It is nature But be, beyond Malka is the dreaded 32nd path. And, you know, most of those new agers, most of those fluffy people online, even a lot of Rosicrucian groups, they don't want to recognize the necessity of Saturn, of that dark and dreaded path. You know, stoop not down to that starkly splendid world. 
wherein continually lie the faithless, faithless depths, wrapped in gloom, delighting in unintelligible images, precipitous, winding a black, ever rolling abyss, abyss, ever espousing a body, unluminous, formless, formless and void. I know. I love the Watchtower ritual, <laughs> it's man. It's so good, dude. It's so, so good. good. It's so good. It's yeah. it's one of those gems, dude. The the GD Watchtower ritual, the Eucharist of Osiris, the neophyte initiation. Um, fuck, dude. The the portal, like, dude. All of it. Like, there's so many great things about the Golden Dawn system, but there's so many things I've really just. I'm just. I'm just done with right now. You know. Well, you've been through it like I have. You've been through it ad nauseum. Been through it, and then and then I was an admin, you know, a temple leader in chief internationally for yeah. fucking like eight years, you know, and it's like. Time to do something that I'm actually that's, interested in. That's the thing I keep trying to tell people. It's like the Golden Dawn is not the OTO or Thelema, which is a religion, and Aleister Crowley's at Saint. The Golden and Dawn a social group. OTO is not a magical order. It's a social right. group. And in its, in its best form, the Golden Dawn is a collegium. It's a school. You go to it, you fucking graduate, and you move on with your life. Yep. We, we tell our adepts that all the time, both in, both in the GD and in Martinism, is that, you know, at SI, that's the equivalent of 5.6 or 8.3, um, or at 5.6 is like, you have two options. Well, you have many options, but let's break it down to two. You can stay, go through your dark night of soul, and come back and serve, and perhaps learn more and grow more. Or you can fucking leave and perhaps serve, learn more and grow more, <laughs> you know, in, in different ways. Go out in the real world. You know, I think it's very important for people to know after adepthood that leaving, quitting, and never, ever touching the shit ever again is a valid and viable option. I think if you go up through the Golden Dawn grades, go into Portal, and then just go off and live your life, that is how you will have the happiest possible life a human could have. Word. Um, Word. Well, you know what? Or even 2 9 to a degree, because 2 9, they're in the promised land, you know? <laughs> or at least you're in, the, you're in the tabernacle, you know? Tabernacle 110, 2 9, you've reached the Garden of Eden to an extent. I have, over the years and over the last literally now 26 fucking years, I have known many people who quit in different grades of the outer order and went on with their lives. And I can see, I have caught up with many of them, and I can see traces where they're at. of alchemical affliction based yep. on where they left and when they left. Yep. So there is a theory that is valid, I think, to some extent, of finishing the elemental cycle. Of well, that's what I was about to say. Finish it intentionally with, with will and imagination purifying the processes, then it will finish of its own accord and leave you however it leaves you. Yep. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. So, you know, you made that comment about portal. I'm like, yeah, maybe this. But yes, you should finish what you started, dude. The whole point of why we started this was to accomplish something. And as, as a person of your word, finish what you started. You know, it's like in martial arts. It's not about the black belt as a symbol. It's not about any of that. It's about finishing. It's about accomplishing something, right? And I know I've, I've seen ex-girlfriends who are very much still stuck in Malkut. I've seen ex-members who are still stuck in 2-9 and all the ego games they're playing still. I've seen people who are in 4-7 or just <laughs> Mars and Aries corrupted, you know, um, and at the same time, then I've seen adepts who are just like wasting away because they're they're coping. Yeah, and so Nick, Nick Farrell has actually sort of I think covered that base really well to his credit about the he's noticed the phenomenon of what happens to adepti after the five six initiation, mm -hmm. um, and and how some just 
get overwhelmed and burn out right away. They just like fucking explode and, and walk away. And, That's more what I've seen. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I've seen that a bit, but I've, I've also seen most of the depths I've seen have gone on to do some pretty remarkable things. But Well, and that was our goal with OMS is to stream, to make the adept process as clean as we could so that that kind of stuff would be mitigated. So here's what I'm doing with the Order of Celtic Mysteries, which is a new thing. I'm because I approached it from the perspective of saying, okay, how can I do this right, but maybe a little bit better than other magical orders did? So Yates and Mathers and, and other adepts outlined the initiations of, of the elemental grades for the Order of Celtic Mysteries. But mm-hmm. Then they did a little portal initiation, and then they had the intention of creating an inner order, of course, but they never finished that. They didn't finish any of it at all, and I'm doing so much work on it. It's not funny, but it's also I'm also not rushing it because it's going to be perfect. Um, what I decided to do was instead of making the final initiation the beginning of a new inner order, I've decided to make it so that the final initiation is the end of the whole thing. So it's a five-year system. You do it. You're done. If you want to keep working with people in that sphere, you can. But you're done. Yep, there's no more to learn. You've got, you can put the OCM after your name if you want, but you're done. And then you can either keep, you can keep participating and teaching if you want, but you're done. Game over. You, you've yep. gone through that five-year program. And that's how I think... Um, maybe the Golden Dawn could be reimagined in terms of going from Neophyte to 5 equals 6 as a single complete system rather than as requiring people to have that solar initiation of 5 equals 6, leading them into the beginning of some new thing that often ends up becoming slightly culty if it happens to get taken over by ego people. So, so if I understand right, do you mean I'm, I'm I'm running this past you as a theory? Yeah, well, that's, that's what I'm trying to ask. If I understand, are you saying that a five year process of just the outer order without the five six? No, I'm or saying five year that leads the to the five six dawn. and they're done. There's seven initiations in the traditional Golden Dawn, and and sure. and and, and uh, Ho Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn International and Homs. Those were traditional in the to the extent that we didn't do the initiations beyond five six because yes. the original Golden Dawn only had up to five six. Yes, that was that's where it ended, and anything any higher grade beyond that was really between you and your HGA. It wasn't uh, something recognized with a formal ceremony, not until the Stella Matutina. So there's seven initiations. Call it seven years. That's a good number. Seven years, seven initiations. What if the Golden Dawn could be reimagined as seven years and seven initiations, and then you're finished? Why not? I Why not? Think that it should be going that way kind of anyway. Wouldn't that make it a bit more healthy <laughs> so that then there's not, like, because seeing Portal as a probationary for the neophyte of the Golden Dawn. Uh, I, I, see, I see what you're going to. See where yeah. I'm going? Yeah, yeah. Now, now, I see where, now I see where you're going. Yeah, the, yeah. the idea of the second order and the third order and all that crap. What if we just did away with all that and had a Golden Dawn system that was a seven-year training program like any other? Yeah. No, I'm totally behind that. I mean, yes. It is it's it complete in itself. Is, There's the, what it means is you don't have any chiefs of an inner order that have their have the potential to thumbscrew sure. any members for the rest of their lives. Yep. Yep. Well, and also it, it admits the honesty of that after Gnosis, after a proper 5-6, there is nothing more to learn. 
not at least through a magical system. Exactly. The things you're going to learn is from your own fucking experience. So going to be your gnosis, the rose of the cross unfolding itself to you. Sophia speaking to you directly through your interactions with nature, with humanity, with your relationships. Like magic can always be something you go back to. For, for me, magic is, God, how do I word this? I would almost say I dive back into it as a hobby or something like fascination of how you, how you can see it works different ways. <clears throat> it is a lifestyle, but I'm not expecting to learn some new secret. And my adepts know that and when they come to the inner order stuff, they're not going to learn some new secret. It's really, really doing enough DMT and mushrooms then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm very anti-drugs when it comes to uh, uh, official ritual work with, with the group. Like the group, we don't can we don't do that because it's illegal on paper. Um, you but, gotta uh, Canada, baby. But for what people do on their own time, do it the world should be the whole law. <laughs> Shout out. Yep, I've gotten a lot of shit. Some Martinist groups think I'm a thelemite, and they're like, "Oh, that's the thelemic Martinist order." I'm like, "Where the hell did you get that from? From me making a passing joke?" I just said to someone <laughs> today, "Love actually is the only law." It that is the law of Christ. It is the law of the New Testament. Like, like that is the whole idea. That is the whole flip from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Probably said so many amazing things. You can't write them off at all, dude. The guy's brilliant. Yeah, the guy's absolutely. Curly is one of the guys I recommend adepts to read over, over almost everyone else. I was just rereading last year his Confessions, which I hadn't read since I was thirteen, and I was like reading it, and I'm close to the age he was when he wrote it now, and I'm like, wow, wow, what a what a perspective shift, perspective, yeah. You know, have you read uh, Zen of the Ox Herder? Or have you, have you seen the, the 10 ox herding pictures? No. I will send you a link to that. There, um, This is one of the other things, like post-Royal Secret, post-Gnosis. What is useful, right? And I think that's one of the Crowley's texts. Um, I'm not going to name them right now, the specific ones, I think, because that's part of the fun is figuring out what's good and what's bad. <laughs> or what, what, what has value and what is kind of just like him. Um, but there, there are 10 pictures that are about a, a farmer going out to find an ox and then having to tame the ox, riding the ox, and experiencing the tamed ox, the full moon, and then returning back to town, and then nothingness. Like, that's the summary of it. And it doesn't mean anything by hearing that. Maybe it does hear from that, hearing that. But those pictures and the very short paragraph-long commentaries, you could read this whole thing in a couple hours, you know? But it's one of the most profound artistic pieces, kind of like the Splendor Solace, that I return to again and again and again post-adepted. Really? Yes. Splendor Solace. Zen of the Ox Herder, and certain texts by a few, a few rare authors. Do you know what I was doing in Berlin last year? What? Studying the Splendor Solace manuscript. Fuck yeah, dude. So my new book is on the Splendor Solace thing. And really? Yeah. But get, so I, I went through the, the manuscript in the, uh, in the, uh, what's it called in Berlin? I forget Which the, library, the German name. Um, uh, you know, they, they had to bring it out to me and I had to put on gloves and all this stuff. And I took a selfie with it, which is super illegal. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but, uh, afterwards I found out it wasn't the original, but like this high quality facsimile and I was so pissed off, but it was still valuable because I could make out all the things that you could make out on the original, which you can't make out in any 
mainstream published version at all. So, and because I read German fluently, I was able to get a lot out of it. And so I took all these notes on the back of the manuscript of the first draft of my book on the Splendor Solace. And I have that here. It's, it's, it's there. But what's really crazy about it is, get this, it's not a book about magic. It's a book about the rock band, the Tea Party's first album called Splendor Solace. <laughs> Wait, your book is? Yeah, my book on the Splendor Solace is a book studying the song lyrics of the band The Tea Party, whose first album was called Splendor Solace, which they toured with Jimmy Page and Robert Plant in 1994, which is where the singer, Jeff Martin, who's a Thelemite living in Australia now and was a former student of mine, they where he was taught the middle pillar and did it every night before going on stage with Jimmy Page to open for them. Wow. That's fucking rad, dude. That like that you have that connection there and what you're writing about. Uh, so that, that book is done. I'm just waiting for the singer to write the forward and we've put out offers to Roy Harper to write the afterward. Roy Harper, hats off to Harper from Zeppelin three. And uh, we've put a, and, and uh, I've put out an invite through Geraldine who's friends with Jimmy page at Atlantis books. That is amazing. Page to do a little uh, uh, preface. We'll Dude, see. I'm going to pick that up. And the thing is, well, the thing is it's actually a real book that involves uh you know, EMI and other corporations. So I have no control over it at this point and it might never come out. Maybe it'll never come out. Um, Unfortunately that kind of happens, right? You know, publishers. I mean, if five more years go by, then so be it. But their second album was called edges of twilight and was based on the Solomonic grimoires. So I kind of want to write that book too, about their song lyrics. And, and I love doing poetic poetry criticism. That's that was my first love was criticizing poetry so i love studying song lyrics in the context of the content and you know how everyone always writes about rock musicians and and album and bands from the perspective of like what drugs they're doing and who they're fucking and what hotel room they destroyed i said to myself as a rock journalist which i was for years i said to myself what if rock journalism was reconfigured to act about what the music is what the, on lyrics- the songs and the music from a a, a a mythopoetic, lyrical, sonic, critical perspective. Yeah, the way the way that Phil and Selma and Pantera went from the Cowboys from Hell, Texas, into the you know vulgar display of power, like total just raw energy, and then got hooked on heroin, and that's why his lyrics got really crazy and deep and fucked up in the next few albums, yeah. and then moved to the South, moved to Louisiana, and it became grungy and sludgy. Like, so, that's, for me, like what you said, that is, for me, how I've always tracked bands. I, I don't care about what they do in their lives. I don't care about what they do in their music. And I had a very good mentor who who led me into music uh, journalism. You know who mentored me into uh, music journalism? Neil Strauss. What? Because when he put out that book, The Game, me and my buddies in Vancouver, we started putting out a webcomic that made fun of pickup artists, but was marketing it. We were marketing it to pickup to artists, people. making fun of pickup artists. There, it's, so it's called, there, there's it's called, that alienation technique. Dude, it's called Pow Bitch, and we, we took it down Pow, to Comic-Con. It, we took it down to Comic-Con, <laughs> a massive success. Neil Strauss put it as his profile on his My Page. So there's five issues of that webcomic called Pow Bitch, which was making fun of pickup artists. And uh, it was wildly successful. And Neil Strauss got in touch with me. And when I was flying back from Asia with my publisher, he uh, asked me to get together. And we, we, we connected for a long time. And when I came back to Vancouver from Ber- uh, 
Belfast a couple of years later, I uh, took what I had learned from him and applied it to this gig I got doing music journalism for a company, which then sold itself to Rolling Stone. And when Rolling Stone bought it, they deleted all the articles that me and every other journalist had written for three years for that site. They just wiped out all of our work. So there's no record online. I think there's an article still up somewhere of me covering metric, but like every other article I covered from Switchfoot to Fear Factory to Lazarus AD, like hundreds of articles with hundreds of hours of editing of audio interviews that I painstakingly did myself so the so that they could publish it before they sold to Rolling Stone just wiped out isn't that fucking evil man to just have someone well, do they, they they just wanted the name right essentially is what that comes down to they, they wanted the brand they didn't give a shit about your content like and and that's just a that's a typical hostile corporate takeover yeah it's some it's a gimmick it's something i didn't actually it is gimmicky i mean i didn't them, like, what they're doing it's like if i got all of you guys to write articles for me i built up a big site sold it to llewellyn and then they deleted all your content and they were like paul rana who 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 chicks right. who we don't know who you guys are we just uh we just have this great content which we sold for half a million fuck off Yep. I'm not actually that bitter about it. It was a, it was a live and learn experience. And that is a live and learn experience for just, for how all the, how how reality actually works, man. And how there is a lot of cutthroat out there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote to Neil, I wrote to Neil and told him about it, but he never got back because apparently there was like fires that year and his house almost burned down. But, you know, I figure if I figure with this, uh, this, this splendor soulless manuscript I have, which is hopefully like, I really hope I'm actually doing a whole new introduction to it right now. I just got uh, Gary Lockman from Blondie, his book on Aleister Crowley and rock and roll. And I ordered the other book on things. So I'm doing a whole new introduction to that book since I have the time because everyone else is fucking so slow. Why is everyone so slow slackers? Um, and I'm doing a whole new introduction to the Splendor Soulless Tea Party music and song lyrics and meaning thing, looking at the history of music and occultism. And that might that might amp it up a little bit and make it a slightly bigger book. But hopefully uh, EMI gets its act together and, and Rolling Stone gives me a nice review and, and we'll see what happens. It's on the back burner for now because everyone involved is rich and famous and I'm not, so they don't really care, right? <laughs> But still, it's amazing that you're involved in a project like that of that of that caliber. Yeah. yeah, they want they want it to come out, and every time I I meet up with those guys, they're they're you know all hugs and kisses. But that's the pop world for you, man. They're they're super nice when when you're in their presence, and the rest of the time they're you're you know right you don't exist. But yeah. uh, it's all it's all good. Who cares, right? Like I'm just in it for the ride. Like life is an amazing fucking ride. Like that's what it comes down to. All these magical orders we join, it's all sort of bullshit. All the magic we do, it's all sort of bullshit. Psychedelics, life, everything in life is bullshit. We're in this weird ass simulation, just trucking along, climbing up Mount Abbey Agnes, and like sometimes we see people ahead of us. We're like, hey, how did you get over that little ridge there? Did you jump or did you like what technique did you use? And the person's like, I, I went underneath. <laughs> underneath right and they're like all we can do is shout down to people who are at a different stage on the mountain they might it might not help them because they're actually taking a different path to the peak yep and then we yep. can look up at people above us and be like how'd they get there they're like ah, oh, well i i climbed this way and i cut off my hand and you know it's 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 you're like i don't want to do that i'm gonna do I, this instead the beautiful <laughs> absurdity of the joke of life is so 
beautiful and essential. We have to embrace it. We have to embrace the absurdity. And I tell you one thing I've found. The more you embrace the absurdity of it, of it all, the more powerful your ritual work becomes. Well, and that's what brings us back to the beginning of our conversation, is the, the, the comedy, the laughter, the levity, the, the brevity of everything we do. What's that? I said the baboon of Thoth. Yeah, exactly, dude. Like the the higher you go, the more serious you go, the more depths you penetrate, the more relaxed you have to be with it. The more you have to it's not that things don't matter. It's not that they don't uh you don't care about it. It's it's a sort of like true detachment. True um in this in the Buddhist sense of non-attachment. They matter so much they're irrelevant. They matter so much that you're going to let it do whatever it needs to do. You know, and you're going to try. That's true faith. Like to me, faith is something that came has really developed over the last eight years since since I got my adepthood. Is that the, the faith now? Though it's not any of the shit that the public talks about or the exoteric. It's a faith in the universe. It's a faith in knowing that no matter what, dude, we're all on this path together, and we're all doing the best we can at least, and it's all going to work out in the end somehow. And again, I, I, I hesitate saying that because that also can postulate, don't do anything, it'll work out. You know, and that's not what I'm saying. Like, we make our own will, we make our own luck, we make our own fate and destiny. And it's up to us to decide every step of our life what's going to happen from it. We can choose left or right, we can choose up or down, we can choose inner anything, right? And that is true empowerment. What's your take on the uh, prevalence of people focusing on demonic and goetic work not that i consider goetic spirits demonic i think they're all spirits and i i reject the idea of angels and demons entirely out of hand but what's your take on the on the prevalence of people working only with demons and unclean spirits as as we or chthonic spirits why is that so popular why do people seem so keen to look down before they look up so those are two questions. Um, first part, I think that most of it's a bunch of silly bullshit. <clears throat> and I think that uh, they don't even know what they're doing or what they're talking about. And I think that to do those works truly, you should go through a proper system to gnosis, to adepthood or light, whatever the fuck you want to call it. First, the whole idea about the Shem Mephrish, for example, is that you, you're able to integrate the light the divine name first, then turn around and use that divine name to control the 72 flip side of the coin, the dark side of the tree, right? But without having the top, the bottom can be dangerous. Now, I'm not the kind of person that really thinks that magic is as dangerous as some people think. Right. You know, I think things can happen for sure, but I think it's mostly in the operator's mind. It's mostly them. Like, I don't think that if you fucking call it Baal, if you're a neophyte, something bad's going to happen necessarily. It might happen because you made it happen. Um, now, with that being said, I think that going into the dark side, the shadow side, is, is very beneficial for an adept. Especially all the stuff we were talking about earlier with ego and, like, leaders of orders or just uh, adepts freaking out. I think that's very beneficial. Now, the second half of your question, the tendency of why people want to go down first instead of go up. You know what sucks right now is that your mom's listening, and I can't make mom jokes. <laughs> you know, Mark trained me so well to make mom jokes. Anyways. She can't hear anything. She, uh, I've got her gagged and bound in the corner. 
<laughs> oh, dude, you're giving you're giving it to me on like a silver platter. Anyways, I think people look down before they go up for a lot of reasons, and a lot of it's probably their own self esteem. It's their own self esteem. It's people who listen to too much Marilyn Manson, and you know I love Marilyn Manson, but it's I think that's a tendency to self deprecate instead of recognize who you actually are. I think self deprecation is easier than admitting that you are a child of God, that you're a child of the light, that you are eternal, that your soul is eternal, that you are special, just like everyone else. I go where no man goes. I see what no one sees. All things are of my design. Amen. Do you think... Okay, I was talking to Allison Chikoski the other day. She's got some glitch bottle episodes coming out, and her her page, Practical Occult or Practical Occultism, is really taking off. Uh, you know, Josh Gadbois is loving her work. Everyone's loving her work. She's, she's doing very well with talisman work for people. And um, she was asking me something. She asked Nick Nick Farrell on a Q and A, and apparently he couldn't answer it, and everyone was sort of surprised. She said, "Why should I want?" I love how she went back to first principles. She said, "Why?" Because she's not in any system. She said, why would I want to, to be in, you know, in touch with my higher genius? What would I get mm-hmm. out of my true will or higher genius? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's a great question. And you said he was stunned? She said he actually couldn't answer the question. And I'm like, I'm not actually that surprised because a lot of people... They, they've been hearing, they've been saying these things so long, they don't even know what they mean anymore. Yeah, they, they become catchphrases. I have no doubt that Nick Farrell is in touch with his true will and is doing his true will. I mean, the guy has been doing selflessly giving of himself to the occult community for so many years, he's borderline bitter about it. Which yeah, he, I've never, never met him, never talked to him, I don't know. Yeah, but... but I definitely th- know who he is. I think course. I know why you want to be in touch with your higher genius or true will or holy yes. guardian angel. But pretty why, basic. What what's the what would you say to her question? Her basic question. What would you say? You know what I love about Crowley's uh, Diary of a Drug Fiend. What is how in the very end he he learns that he wants to make planes. <laughs> he, he wants to learn to make planes and he, he wants to fly. Like it's so simple in the end, he and his wife went through this fucking horrific book just to realize this simple thing. And, you know, in the end, adepthood, life, beauty, enjoyment, Malka, the kingdom of heaven we started with the kingdom of God, it should be about enjoyment and like knowing who you are and like with conviction, like letting yourself be happy. And I think, the, one of the ideas I love about the true will is that once you know what you're doing and you're pursuing it, you're actually happy because you're doing what you want to do and it's right and it's in line with who you are, your upbringing, your chart, whatever the fuck you want to call it, right? You find the partner that's best for you. You find the job that's best for you. You find the place to live that's best for you, the lifestyle, the art forms, the expressions, the martial arts, the physical, the fishing, whatever it is. You find those things that make you happy because the only thing I think that matters in this world is happiness and being fucking happy. Hail Wotan. Hail Wotan, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, classifying different, different forms of philosophy. You know, like, oh, yeah. is, is stoicism the way to go? 
No. Agreed. None of, none of, <laughs> though, though, though I really like stoicism, I, of, I step into it naturally. <laughs> none of them are the way to go. The fact, like, it's why, it's why when people like, you know, Jordan Peterson's all, you know, ranting and raving about the postmodernists and stuff like that, whereas he doesn't actually understand postmodernists. I was trained in critical theory up the wazoo, but I don't see anything in common like, I do understand what he means when he talks about the postmodern movement as it's become in universities today. Yeah. He's talking about 2020. He's not right. talking about yeah. the postmodernism. That's of, not what of the that poetry we love. Of, yeah, he's not yeah. talking about the poetry we love of the early 1900s. And, and he also just doesn't, yeah. He, so he's talking about a popular phenomenon. He doesn't actually under, he's never read Jacques Derrida's De la Grammatologie, which I have read. Which uh, I don't think I've read that either. Well, it, you, know, <laughs> you know what's on the front cover of it? A big fucking picture. Of Thoth. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and what he's talking about is a valid critique. But the idea that deconstructionism, post-structuralism, structuralism, or any of these other philosophical movements from nihilism to romanticism to the, the sophists to the stoics to the, the, any of these schools of philosophical thought, the idea that any of these schools is meant to be a complete system of thinking is absurd that is the opposite of what philosophy is about agreed that's, that's, that's they're, they're tools they're like i said earlier they're myths that they're be, tools they're myths they're structures that would be like and in bruce, the end that would be like if bruce lee had said what have the martial art i have learned can never be surpassed and i will never create my own right exactly g kundo yeah. no he didn't say that yeah he, no, I'm saying he. And I'm, that's what I'm. Saying. I'm, yeah. I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, I know. He, he I know. would never created. He would never have created Jeet Kune Do, yeah. and would never have. Even in Jeet Kune Do, it's all about what works for you best, and following the natural flow. Imagine if, and and that's that's what I'm saying. Is like I'm into hedonism, hedonism in the classical philosophy, not in what people think hedonism means nowadays. But in being happy and the 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 pursuit of pleasure, and you know what, the ultimate pleasure is is helping and benefiting others and helping others come to that pleasure. Right. And I came to that projecting the stone. I came to the same conclusion reading, uh, Michel Foucault, not reading his history of sexuality, but reading his, his studies on the technology of the self and the idea of, uh, of a jouissance, the idea of an ecstatic personal and macrocosmic at the same time, self-overflowing of abundance and joy at the very essence of being alive. You know, yes, that is where you truly tap into Sophia, or the Oversoul, or the Universal Soul, and you and it are one. And going back to what we were talking about earlier about laughter, you know, the laughing Buddha, or the laughing Christ, or the Gnostics, or Samaritan says that the laughing body is impervious to demons. You know, it's impervious to your negative self because it is so enraptured in ecstasy. And obviously, Curly took that very literally <laughs> and, like, ran with it. Um, but th- I think that is really where we're going at is happiness, man. And all this heavy intellectual shit doesn't mean anything in the end. They're just tools. Well, that's actually literally what I said to Allison the other day on our crazy long talk. And she said I was, I was giving her my answers. I said... The purpose for me of what I found in the Golden Dawn system, I mean, the, the, in the initiations, we call it uh, true wisdom, perfect happiness, the summum bonum, mm-hmm. the, the fullness of all that is good. And I said, what I did find from my... I'll give you the summum bonum. Become, yeah. <laughs> the summum. 
You've oh, got to. Well, you had to have heard that before, right? What was the Dion? No. What was the Dion Fortune line you said? You know, sometimes Dion. Fortunately, not all jokes are good. Dion. Fortunately, not all good jokes are good. Oh God! What, you oh, you just dropped Dion. Fortunately, Dion. Fortunately, or Dion. What's the Mathers? You know, what's the Mathers with that? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But no, what I told her was. What I got at a, at a young age out of going through the seven grades and seven years of Golden Dawn training was perfect happiness. Like, yep. I've been through dark times in my life. I've been through traumas that took me a while to recover from, but I always had the skill set to recover from it. That, and in the end, they aren't even that big of a deal, right? In the end, it's not. Well, nothing is in the end. At the end, you can't take it with you. You just die and that's that. But, yep. like, that's not my point. My point is I wake up. And like, and I was a suicidal kid. I was a suicidal kid from age Likewise. 10 to 12. It was bad. Like m- my mom had, she would like sit up with me at nights from midnight till 2 a.m. when I was 11 or 12 on a school night watching Field of Dreams because I, I had lost my father. He was with an abusive woman who would abuse me. It was, it was a fucking nightmare. And she did everything she could because she, I could tell that she, could see that I was slipping away from this world, even at 12 years old. I might die. And all I saw every night in bed, lying in bed, staring at the ceiling, was darkness. I was in the abyss. I was an abyss. I just wanted to die every minute of every fucking day. That's all I thought about. I thought about dying not mattering. I was so depressed at 12 and 11 that dying didn't even worry me because life was worse than death. Being alive was worse than death for me. And eventually I had an imaginal awakening a couple years later. Thank God. And what I found over the next seven years of Golden Dawn training was perfect happiness. And the fact that I, I wake up every day so happy and excited to live my day. It's not even fucking funny. It's not even funny. And I know, I know for a fact there's people out there who don't wake up feeling that way. And I'm not saying I would say 95% of people. Right. And I, I'm not saying I feel that way because I I'm, I'm living a cushy life. I'm not. It's your consciousness. It's a choice. I have horrors on my doorstep that might actually do me in this year. I don't know, but I'm going to fight the choice. I'm going to fight the good fight. Well, the horrors aren't my choice. Those are, no, I'm saying your attitude is your choice. It's not, no, it's not my choice. It's not. I don't have a choice about being as happy as I am when I wake up each day. It's not my fucking choice. That's what, that's what I mean by the philosopher's stone and true wisdom and perfect happiness. I don't have a choice about being this happy and go lucky. It is so deeply embedded and initiated into my soul. It's almost like an actual ontological change has occurred. Almost. Well, and that is the whole point of the myths. The whole point of the myths is to set you up in one degree, one degree, and then do something else, and then boom, that's what occurs. And what I mean by choice is that we always have free will. But I, I think I know what you mean in that in the end there is no other choice but to do it. Right? There is no other choice, man. There is no door out. There's no back door. There's no suicide. There, there is none of that shit, man. There, they're not even options anymore. Like before, you said that. You know, fuck, you were talking about when you were a teenager, you said you weren't afraid of death. You didn't care if you died because life was worse than death. 
Yeah, I, but that, now I wasn't. You don't care if you die because because life was worry worse than anything I could imagine. It was just it was yes. It was, it, I was so empty. The idea of dying didn't actually occur to me because I was so empty. So hold on, but now I would I would beg to ask, like at least for me, that has flipped. Now oh, yeah. death isn't a concern in the exact same way than it was a concern, except. It, not the same way in the same level it's so in, inconsequential but because you're so full right the clea has been filled i am immortal therefore all things are of my design and therefore do thou come forth on me from thine abode in the silence unutterable wisdom all light all power i am he the bull in the spirit having sight in the feet yes sir those those words aren't words to us Fuck no, they're not words. They're affirmations. They're truth with a capital T. And when we speak them, we create an anamnesis of every time we've ever done that ritual, going back to the recreation of Jesus, Osiris, Zarathustra, Muhammad even. You name it. We are recreating the universe in the palm of our hand, and it lives in our hearts so strongly, it's almost like a flame burning our heart. It is a flame burning our heart. That is the secret fire. And that is why you cannot learn occultism, Martinism, Golden Dawn, Gnosticism from a book. You have to practice it. You have to. And that's why. So going back to the whole thing, I don't think you fully asked me, but why would you join an order? No, the question was the divine genius. But why would you Alan join was saying, why would I want to bother getting in touch with my higher genius? What's the yes. truth? What and I think we, ans- we answered that happiness for me. But I would, I, I'll that's push that question deeper. That's exactly what I told her. And I'll push the question deeper. Why would you join an order? You join an order so that you can brainwash yourself in the way that you just said. So you can create. <laughs> yeah, dude. We're, it's, it's, you know, we have an old joke that the Golden Dawn is supporting intentional brain damage since 1888. oh there's just no rolls royce at the end of it like osho and maharishi you had we 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 don't necessarily end up rich and famous like some uh, news nope but we become rich and famous in our own ways in our lives and you know you can be rich and famous if you want to if that's something that's important to you i just want to live comfortably i just want to uh I want to live comfortably with my, my uh, needs taken care of with a good lady on a big piece of land and be able to see the beach a lot. You know, it's very simple stuff, man. It's very simple stuff in the end that uh, I think are valuable. And it's the moments you spend with people. It's not – that's why I love temple meetings, man. Every temple meeting in Austin for OMS, every single meeting we have a table lodge. Not because it's important to have a table lodge, but because we want to share a meal together, mm. you know? We right. want to have a couple drinks. We want to fucking. I want to cook a. I'm cooking tomorrow for our table lodge. One guy's bringing down brisket jalapeno poppers. So jalapenos filled with brisket, cream cheese, cheddar wrapped in bacon and and grilled. Yeah. And I'm cooking a pot roast because it's the winter, you know. So we're gonna have a big ass prime rib for dinner. Um, winter in Texas. That means it drops down to like. 35, 40 degrees or <laughs> not even 90, 100 degrees. <laughs> not well, even. I, I was talking in Celsius, pardon my French. Um, yeah. No, it's, it's, a, it's a nice cool 100 degrees during winter in Texas, right? Yeah. We are 42 degrees Fahrenheit right now, and I fucking hate it. <laughs> oh, that is cold. That's not even freezing. Well, that is, well uh, yeah, I know, but like, that's cold for y'all. 
It's cold for us. Yeah, hey, use y'all. Yes, sir. Boy, I tell you what, full stop. That's a full sentence. <laughs> it is. It that is. Taught me that. Boy, and you're like, wait, 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 what'd you tell me? They would always say, boy, I tell you what. And I'd say, what? And they'd be like, what? I'm like, what? They're like, oh, no, that's a full sentence. <laughs> that is, that is perfectly, perfectly Texas. Yes, sir. I've been saying that to people all around the world for the last 25 years. I love it. My first time in Norway, I wore a shirt that said, fuck y'all, I'm from Texas. And I, I, cut, the, I cut the sleeves off, obviously, to show off tattoos and muscles. And, you know, being into black metal, went to a black metal bar and Slayer was on. And I started, I was like, Slayer, I'm like headbanging shit. People are like, you are so loud. Why are you doing that? <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, what? Like I, I was mortified, like growing up at admiring Norwegian black metal and the craziness showing up and there's, they're all so uptight and so like not metal. Jesus. Yeah, dude. I, I was like, Jesus, what the fuck? They're like, why are you so loud? I'm like, are you fucking kidding me, man? It, it just blew my mind. Because they've been living in freezing temperatures their whole lives, whereas you've been like running around naked on the beach. You know, I think there's something to that. I think you see that across the board. And I'm not, this isn't an Acadian attack at all. But like, look at New York versus Florida. Look at Norway versus Greece. Like, you know, uh, Seattle versus uh, Santa Monica. Dude, Vancouver the, the, means like 90% of the year, and everyone is like walking around on the streets with an expression on that it's like you just stomp their puppy. Exactly. Whereas, exactly, dude, and it, it is literally the weather. Oh, you yeah. know, in, in Greece, man, everyone's going around naked, fucking doing all kinds of shit, don't care what's going on. And then meanwhile, in Norway, everyone's like, it is so cold and I'm angry and I have to bundle up and, you know, all that shit, right? Like, I yeah. think there's something to that. Oh, big time, big time. And I think that, that builds into social dynamics, builds into governments and politics, it builds into mythologies and how their gods work. So you think um, this, the key to fixing the U.S. is to move the capital to like a new <laughs> part of the country. <laughs> well, you know what? I don't care where the capital is. Cause I'm a part of the Republic of Texas, <laughs> not the United States. So our capital is in the warm central Texas region. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, my Masonic lodge was actually founded uh, when we were seceded. It wow. was founded under the Republic of Texas. So we were a Republic of Texas lodge, not an American lodge. It's interesting this talk by of charter. secession in the states. I don't want to get into it because you know I don't mean to get political. I just I just love yeah. the idea of Texas. You know I always go political when when it goes that way on the podcast, but people people don't actually like it. But I don't mind going there here and there because like the purpose of this thing for me is to have real conversations. And like if you take magicians and initiates and separate them from their context their time and setting the hermeneutics, then, yep. then they don't make sense. You know, like, well, it's, it's like trying to read or Tan or read, read Bruno and not understand the context of their times and the struggles they were dealing with. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, Bruno got burned at the stake for doing the same thing that Ficino and Mirandola were doing. And then like in the 20th century, the Pope had to be like, oops, let's build him a statue. Right. Let, let's apologize for the thing that happened <laughs> that we that we did. <laughs> yeah. 
And we've seen that time and time again with people like St. Cyprian, with just countless saints, man, or, you know, any political movement, like we'll destroy this individual and then prop them up as a, a false idol later, you know? We'll, we'll use them to our advantage as a political fucking stepping stone. Dude, I was destroyed and demonized for 15 years by the Golden Dawn Order I helped build up. And now I'm I've been there to them. Yep, I've been there, dude. And I, I, I think part of them doesn't really know how to deal with that. And, and the great thing for me is I don't give a shit. Because nope, my, experience, my experience, I had a great time. I don't know what y'all, all y'all were doing, but yeah. like, I recommend it. Were you at the same party? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, totally. You know how you can be at the same party? Yeah. You, you remember that time that dude did that thing off the fucking diving board? That was awesome. Everyone's else like, that was fucked up and evil. Like, wait, what? <laughs> well, I realized only too late after high school that like while I was being all like mystical, depressed, gothy Wiccan in the corner, everyone else was having the time of their lives. Like I went to a Waldorf school, so everyone was super chill and having a good time. I was in the same school, like the same class of seventy people. That well, the same. There's only seven people, seventy people in the whole high school. I was in the same high school as like fucking Gibran Chong, Tommy Chong's son. Like so, it was a party time, and the and the fact that I didn't have a good time and party with them. That was on me, but I realized that yep. almost, I only realized ready for it. too late. And, you know, I was really glad we had a 10-year reunion. I mean, Waldorf kids aren't very good at math, so our 10-year reunion was actually 16 years later, but so be it. <laughs> yeah. You know, we do math with crayons. Let's, let's be real. Shout out. And uh, I, I, I apologize to everyone in my class for being such a little wanker that whole time. I was like, you know, I was, I was, I was going through stuff and I was being abused, actually, like a lot of the time uh, outside of school and no one really noticed. And, and they were like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And they've all gone. People are like, really forgiving, man. They are. You got to give people, you know, some, the benefit of the doubt, I think. And, and that's the problem of 2020. 2020 is pitting human against human instead of realizing that we're, that these are ideologies or greater forces that are doing this. The, the common human, we've all lost friends over various things this last year. And it, it's them not recognizing that we're all fucking human. We're all one dude. We're all, or at least, at least we're all human beings. Let's put it that way. I haven't lost a single friend this year. Good for you. And I've made a point not to either, but what I mean is when I say we all, I mean everyone else on my Facebook feed. <laughs> like, and that's part of why I don't engage in certain stuff publicly, you know? Well, the, the people just need to realize that what's actually going on is the Bilderbergs and the Rothschilds are yep. talking to the aliens and selling adrenochrome and creating a, a, a galactic federation so that we can join a reptilian DMT species that's going to suck our souls dry. So you know what? Uh, I don't know if I would <laughs> suspension of disbelief. Not saying that ain't happening, but that ain't what I that ain't what I walk around with, bro. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Just I, I hear you, and you know what? We're all friends with uh, Jeff Contreras, and love the guy to death. You know who knows that shit might be happening. But I will say, I think the Bilderbergs and the Rothschilds are controlling the banking systems they are controlling the fucking political systems and i think that everything that's happening is a big fucking joke and it's a big plan yeah yeah i think i think the the political dualism is a smokescreen for for elite activity and that's not dualism always is a smokescreen and in magic sometimes it's a beneficial smokescreen but 
in world politics, it's a very malefic one. And, and that is the negative aspect of the age of Aquarius, right? That is Saturn on the rise. That is the constrictor. That is death. That is destruction. That is totalitarianism. That is the negative aspect of Aquarius as opposed to the higher enlightenment. Like you're talking about how you know so many Gen Zs that are popping off with, no, with very insightful statements. Dude, I did a survey of Gen Z friends with my podcast right? And their moms are all millennials. And mm-hmm. so their moms all thought I should edit this podcast and cut it down and cut out the ums and the yas and the haws and the motherfuckers and the country. But the Gen Zs want it, right? And the Gen Zs were like, mom, if you do that, it's not legit. Well, because they want that. That's the other, that's the good part of Aquarius. That's what they all, their kids all did that to me. They're right? like, that's the only reason that anything he's doing is worthwhile. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. They want the humanity. And you know what? I realized that with OMS. You know, when I took Hierophancy in 2012 for the Golden Dawn, I was really worried. I, I tried to be serious, tried to get straight, all that stuff, you know. And because I knew that everyone thought I was the wild child, the bad kid, you know, the fucking. Just like I was in high school. And in high school, one week, one month, I'd be getting Citizen of the Month Award from the, from the principal. The next month, I'd be suspended for fist fighting. <laughs> and the principal would be like, dude, come on. But, you know, so in Hierophancy, I tried to compensate. I tried to be the good guy. and tried to make everyone happy. And you know what? Even then, I was still going to be demonized. And eventually, I realized, be yourself. And with OMS... I am so myself. Every fucking member knows exactly who I am. Every candidate knows who I am. They, they know there's no pedestal. They know there's no, no facade of this perfect human being. There's this guy who's a go-getter, who is, like, relentless, but also speaks his mind as kind of a fucktard. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Dude, you have to get in touch with your inner fucktard. Your inner fucktard, man. Never go full retard. <laughs> Never go full tard. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> except maybe right after 5-6 or right after SI. But, you know, you got to be in touch with that shit, man, because that's what makes you you. And the modern age, like you're saying, they want reality. They want us to be yeah. ourselves, and we yeah. should be ourselves. That is part of being your true will, right? I think so. Um, and, you know, there's the other part of it. I remember uh, greatly honored Sor RD, uh, you know, Sonia, telling me that, when I was going through p- testing for portal at Easter vacation, uh, in 99, I, I was, she was telling me some real shit that I hadn't heard because I was an out of order member. And she was like, the first thing I do when I meet new members is like demean myself. I'm like, what? Yep. Like, yeah, because yep. the last thing you want is that like, holy, holy, holy transmission or transference happening between you and a student. I'm like, cause it's bad for everyone. But I was like, but that is that. And is, unfortunately so many masters want the opposite, right? Yeah. That's what the, the whole new ageism really craves is they, they talk in, they talk in the, in the way. So it's like fucking yoga, dude. Like, you know, Hey, well, like, you know, there's, there's nothing that has ever gone on in yoga that's sketchy, especially if you're it doing <laughs> with Bajwan. Jesus, <laughs> with, man! Like, yeah, or, or with yeah, with uh, fuck. What's the what's the sweaty yoga guy? The sweaty yoga, you know. Oh my god, I'm bl- dropping it right now. Uh, Bikram, Bikram. But, you know, and, and that's why the last line of our Martin is first degree. The very last sentence we sp- speak before we close the temple is guard yourself from pride and selfishness. Remind yourself that you are nothing, that you can do nothing. 
and that you are less than others. And that line puts people off. But you just kind of brought up the reason of why that's brought up, why I dropped that line. Yeah. Because that's important for everyone to remember through this whole process. And I like, I like to have the, the, the adepthood in the first degree, whether they see it or not. Valentin Tomberg, who is mm-hmm. the anonymous writer of Meditations on the Tarot. Martinist. Alert. <laughs> what? He was a Martinist. Was he also? He was also a student of Rudolf Steiner's wife and an anthroposophist and a Catholic convert. So there's heavy Catholicism in his book. Sorry, folks. But he, I, one of the, my favorite things he wrote in Meditations on the Tarot is he sort of sees Hermeticists as like uh, uh, disabled people. He's like, <laughs> this is for people who are sort of like, uh, you know, sort of disabled and retarded and don't really have it. Like, they don't really have any way of getting there other by than by doing this really complicated, challenging, exhausting, weird shit. But by doing it, they'll get there and they're able to help all of humanity. But he yeah. says, but they have hold not a candle to the true artist or performer, or poet, or creative soul that just yep. naturally emulses themselves. And it's actually when I read that line in 2003 that I was like, yeah, I need to become a musician. So I started playing music at 25 out of the blue. Everyone was shocked, but I took everything I had learned as a human soul from the magical life and put it into music, and it worked. You know, Within three years, I was opening for Mothers of Invention, then performing at the Olympics with Great Big C's Alan Doyle, and doing wow. all these amazing things. And why did I... Well, I had learned discipline, so every instrument I picked up, I would play five, six, ten hours a day, and I would perform five, six, seven nights a week, even when I sucked. And that's the kind of thing that will always get you ahead in life. Like, Well, it's just like martial arts, man. That's what it takes to become a master in anything. you got to put in the time. Like, people talk about, like online about doing the LBRP and they say like, how long does it take to master the LBRP? And some people say two to three months. Some people say, no, I've been doing it 10 years and I still haven't mastered it. And I'm like, and I've just said, look, the first month you do it, do it 200 times. Do it like I was mandatorily required by Frater Ka, who's now Nineveh Shadrach. He gave me these he gave me a sheet. He said, photocopy 235 copies of the sheet. And it was a complex write-out analysis to record the results of my LBRPs. Like, you have to fill out all of these to test out a neophyte. I was like, but I can test out within a month? Because I was a cocky 15-year-old. He's like, oh, yeah, go ahead. I'm like, okay. And I did. Sure thing, buddy. And I did. <laughs> and I did. But I was working the shit out of those rituals. And every time you learn a new ritual, you want to work the shit out of it. Like, sure, draw out the symbols that you trace, put tape them to the walls of your room. Yep. Like have all like, the names and the Kabbalah and the Gabachri on the wall next to it. It doesn't matter how you do it. Even when you're learning advanced techniques, like the ones that we can't name because they're not published and no one knows them, but they're still so amazing. The first time you learn them and when you start practicing them, you're going to use the shit out of them and you want to. And it's like, there is this thing that Ramsey's always told me. There's this point you reach where you actually know the technique. And once yeah. you really know the technique, it becomes a part of your being. Yeah, and once it's a part... It's like throwing a punch or a kick, man. It becomes instinctual. Right, like, so if I don't really know how to punch and I'm not in danger of hurting you, I can sort of go ape shit on you, right? And you're not too concerned. But if I actually know how to fuck someone up with one punch, then I have a responsibility when I approach you to not do it. 
Well, and that's the idea as a master teaching. Um, that's why I've always been so gentle when I'm sparring with students. They're like, you're not hitting me hard. I'm like, of course I'm not. <laughs> you don't want me to hit you hard. Yeah. You know, and the most dangerous uh, people to, to spar or especially jujitsu wrestle against are yeah. white belts. Yeah, yeah. Because they don't know. They don't know how them doing this little bad twist is going to shatter your knee. And you're fucked for life. You Dude, know? There was a, a woman in England uh, who was training in fencing with a pistol gripped foil. Um, and I don't know if you've ever worked with a pistol yep. grip, but yeah, I, lo- I love them. They're, they're tricky to get the handle of, but she was working with one and she was new and she didn't realize how, or no, it was a guy. Sorry. It was a guy. This is, this is part of the kicker of the story. And um, because the pistol grip sort of holds your hand a bit um, the blade he, 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 he attacked with too much force and that's actually illegal. You're not allowed to attack with too much force in fencing because you're not yep. meant to. And the blade shattered and went through the helmet of his teacher. Oh my God. Him. Yeah. Killed and, him. Yeah. Killed him. Oh killed my God. So I guess they're doing saber. No foil, foil, saber wouldn't foil. The foil, foil. went through the fucking helmet. The foil's much heavier and stronger and, and less, less malleable than saber saber. So I'm actually a saber. So I'm, yeah. I'm, that's my main thing, but I like um, foil personally, but well, yeah, wow. well, I'm, I'm really good at hitting someone's hand. So like, you're not going to, like, I'll hit your, your hand five times in a row before you get close to me. That's safe. awesome. Well, that, that, yeah. that, that's a little neck. Dude, we're going to fence. <laughs> oh, we're going to fence. I have like fucking seven swords and 10 helmets. I'm, I'm nice. Let, uh, we, I got to come to Texas. You, I let, I'll let you Martinize me and we'll, we'll have fun. Yes. We got to um, do it, dude. Yeah. It's got to happen at this point after talking to you. It's like, yeah, okay. Um, it won't spoil anything, okay. but so because sh- this guy killed this other guy, know what they passed the law in England and know what the law was as a result of this student killing his teacher, women can't use pistol grips. What? <laughs> that, that was, that was the takeaway. Tell me that's not the best non sequitur you've ever heard. That was the takeaway. That is such utter. Like, I, I, I remember hearing that when my teacher told me when I was 13, I was like, so is the logic that if a man using a pistol grip foil could kill another man, just imagine what a woman might do. <laughs> right. Right. That is, that is so ridiculous. Dude, that is some classic chauvinism. That is yeah. like pure. That is the most ridiculous thing I've heard in quite some time. <laughs> oh, but I can't believe you fence. That's awesome. Fencing's so much fun. I had to stop doing it when I got into ninjutsu because they said it was damaging my technique. And because of course it was. Ninjutsu is a technique and fencing's an art. A sport. Uh yes. Yeah, both. Yeah. So it trains you in some bad habits, like yeah, like pulling punches and stuff. But with ritual work, what's your favorite Golden Dawn rituals? You know, uh, you probably hear this all the time. No. For me, it's still the LBRP. I've never heard that before. Are you fucking serious? Never. Yeah, it's still the LBRP, man. That's still the number one top thing. Um, you know, as I think you mentioned this even with Jeff on the podcast, is that, like, Crowley said, properly understood, the LBRP is the key to adepthood. Yeah, but I was mentioning that in the context of the fact that back then, when Crowley went through the order... Ah, that's all they had. Yes. It was the only that ritual the he learned. Yeah, you're he right, didn't right. learn the BRH or the analysis or Rosecross or any of those other rituals back then. And there was no middle pillar or watchtower back then. Yep. So when there you say favorite... Openings. I, I there were great openings. When you, when you say favorite, yeah, of course, there were the opening by towers from the grades. Um, when you say favorite, say favorite, that's what I 
take took it as. That's what I meant. Now, um, I, I took it as like what I do nowadays. Nowadays, post-adepthood, if I want to do something like that, if I just need a quick cleansing, it is straight up the LBRP. But as far as what I think is the coolest, most badass thing, opened by Watchtower, born this ritual, um, you know, but also the Rose Cross ritual. The Rose Cross ritual, I, I think it's underestimated. I don't, it's underestimated. I don't love it, but the reason I do it is because of the effect it has. It, it shields you and it conceals and makes invisible your aura. So no one can, so demons and, and astral nasties can't see what you're actually containing. And it holds your energy very close and uh, makes you invisible. It's an invisibility ritual. It's not like level the, at the same level of, as ritual eye. Ritual eye is fucking hardcore. Oh my God. I love any ritual based around Harpocrates, of course. But, um, the Rose Cross ritual is just so effective, like it can't be denied, and it's the real. Well, and that's why I like it. Like I, think, to, I don't think days it's, it's about effective, being effective and simple. Yeah, I don't think people me. should ever do the analysis in the BRH. I still do the analysis in the BRH because it's a matter of habit and a debt. Yeah, but likewise. The, real, the best place I think you should do the LBRP BRH straight throughout the as you would in the outer order and yeah. never even as an adept don't add the analysis to the brh only do the analysis with the rose cross because that's what makes the rose cross a beautiful ritual in my opinion yep. is that, also, that, that that's the money shot right the money shot yeah once you've con- contained and, and sealed your aura so that it's invisible and people people don't realize that it really works. It really works. Like, it does. It, it is. You know how I sell to to we we give that away in neophyte. Oh, do you? Uh, the, the the rose cross ritual. Yes, and we kind of bill it because we kind of backdoor it. They don't think it's a big thing. Like oh, that's so simple, right? Um, but we kind of sell it as like, hey, this is your go to bed ritual. This is your God. you know turn turn off the astral. See, to me, that's like such a heresy because it's like. It it's a ritual well, that I am definitely a heretic. No, aren't we all? <laughs> I like to backdoor shit to where years later someone's like, "Wait, dude, I just finally realized what I'm doing." I was talking to to Drew, who was a seven equals four adept from Frater Yeshi's order, and he's one of the very few who's gone through a six five and seven four original initiation as they're done in the Stella Matutina. And he was telling me he thinks tatwas should be introduced at Neophyte. He said, because scrying is 90% of an adept's work. Why is it held off until practicus? Just bring it in at Neophyte. And I was like, I introduced, I introduced tatwas at 2.9. Yeah. Tatwas actually is 2.9. You're right. You're right. And then formal scrying and Olympic planetary spirits at 3.8. Yep, um, exactly. Yeah. yeah, but he was saying neophyte, and I was like, that makes sense. What if neophytes did the five elemental tatwas, and then in each grade, they worked with that grade and all the sub-elemental ones. By the time they get to fucking portal, they will be masters of tatwas. Instead, I had to bust ass from two equals nine to five equals six to even begin to touch on the sub-elemental ones. Because when, when you work a tatwa, like... Working a tatwa doesn't mean you've worked Prithivi or Apas once or twice or three times. That's not. You do it again and again and again. It's not working a tatwa. Dude, I'm, my main work in the last 18 years has still been with the Shem angels or Shem spirits. I'm still working with the Shem Fresh. I, I'm not near to done because I'm doing a method that uh, people don't. Uh, that. So here's a method I do. So t- what's your method? I want to hear this. So it's the same. That, that's been one of my primary things too. 
most people, when they learn the tarot contemplation ritual, they go through the whole deck once. They go through every card sequentially and do the tarot contemplation ritual. I tell people, if you really want to be hardcore and let your higher genius almost have a little bit of say of when you're ready to, to you know, say you've done that ritual, pull every card at random and not until you've randomly drawn every tarot card and for the tarot contemplation, have you actually done it? And that that's is super part, cool. That's super cool. Cause that could actually take that is you super cool forever a long time. Right. Yeah. And then when you're like, you, you might draw that waiting. Oh, it could take you a long forever, but I'm doing the same thing with the shem with my shem cutouts of seven. Yeah. I hear you. So the other day I did the one for material gain and while well, that paid off, let's say that in a shocking, it was, that's a, um, thank you. Thank you. People <laughs> and world. Muchas gracias. Um, I, I don't know how that happened, but thank you. Three it, of was, it was the second time in my life to have done money magic. And for some reason it worked. I don't understand why it's almost like this magic thing is real. Eh? Well, they, that, and also the Shem angels are one of the fastest, most effective form of magic I've, ever experienced they they work so quick they work so directly with what their attributions are like if i don't do a lot of practical magic in that sense thaumaturgy yeah almost everything i do these days is theurgy and almost everything i teach is theurgy that's martinism right that is martinism but it's also what i think i don't know i kind of think that's what we should be doing in general is not fucking with nature so much but learning how I, i put it this way thaumaturgy is you changing nature and if you change nature, because of the nature of the microcosm and the macrocosm, if you change the macrocosm, the microcosm has to react, right? So let's say you do a ritual for 50 bucks, and I don't know, you have like a break go out, you know? Let's say you do a ritual for uh, 10 grand, and you get 10 grand, but your mother died. Well, Rufus famously did a ritual for an exact amount of money, and his house burned down, and he got an insurance check for that exact amount of money. That's exactly what I'm talking That's about. So what we, do in, what we do in 110 is I tell people to pick a very specific number, less than 100 bucks, like 56, 76, and do a ritual for that and see what happens. See what your relationship is with Sophia. Don't well, theorize yeah. about it. Go do it. You know, so that that's thaumaturgy, whereas theurgy is where you change yourself, you change your inner, you change the microcosm. And by changing the microcosm, the change you want in the macro will naturally occur. You'll naturally take the steps to make that happen. So thaumaturgy is you changing nature. Theurgy is you becoming in in alignment with nature. In a, that is one very simplistic definition. And yes, exactly. That is how I describe it to neophytes. Yeah. And and I've been talking a lot with people about this because Allison, I think, and people are going to know her quite well when her two Glitch Bottle episodes drop publicly. They're on the Patreon now, but they'll be public soon. And uh, she's very successful with her magic, and apparently it's extremely effective. And I believe her. She's a PGM specialist, and, and uh, she gets in trouble a lot because people are upset that she's having such success and has never been through a system. And I think that's hilarious. I'm like, more power to you, girl. <laughs> I love the idea that there's people out there having great success with magic who have never been through a system. It's like, yeah, fucking, fucking do it. But it is. Hey, some people are very natural, you know. They are. I, I, and and she yes, was sir. asking me about the true will. Why would I want it? How would I know I have it? I'm like, you sound like a happy, happy, successful person. She's like, yeah. I'm like, that sounds like true will to me. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I 
proof's in the pudding. The the proof's in the pudding. That's someone who naturally already found it and didn't have to go through all the punishment degrees like we did. (laughs) I mean, mean, like, there's still things you get from that alchemical process of the grades. Like, I... Yeah, and and I don't don't mean that as complete crassness. No, no, like, I've noticed... It's not like I didn't notice things about her or other people that I'm like, huh, I'm pretty sure that would get refined if you went through the grades. Are right. you going to be okay without that refinement? Yeah, but I'm noticing it. There's a yep. salient feature, there's salient features in your behavior and personality that I can notice, I'm noticing, and I don't think they would be there if you went through this refinement of the alchemical process. But it's not the biggest deal at the end of the day, really. Nope. No. no. If you're happy... I, I agreed on both points, exactly. If you're happy, like, that's fine. I mean, like Valentin Tomberg says, like, you know, you, you only need to go through that if you're slightly tarted. Yep. Dear unknown friend. Yep. <laughs> Your unknown friend. That, that's why he starts all the papers that way. Dear unknown friend. That's a, that's a Martinus nod. That, that phrase... Interesting. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, I, I look forward to learning more about that and, and such with you. So I look forward to you coming down here and hanging out in Texas, dude. We'll yeah. hang out in 200 acres of land with a river running through it. I'm so game. I'm so game. You know, organic breakfast tacos, bacon, egg, cheese, fucking lots of hot habanero salsa. You like spice, right? I love it, but because of my... Oh, yeah. I can't have spicy things. Dude, if I told you the shit I can't eat anymore, you would have an aneurysm. Oh, man, I'm so sorry. Like, okay, obviously I can't have gluten, dairy, or soy. I also can't have uh, nightshades, tubers. Um, nightshade sounds pretty I common, actually. I, I think I think people don't know about how common that is, the I nightshades. Have onions or garlic, uh, grains, tomatoes, uh, citrus. I can't have any citrus. Mm-hmm. It's just too harsh. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, when the doctors were telling me what I couldn't have, they were like, but you can still have like, you know, bread and milk and cheese. I was like, no, I have celiac disease. And they just looked at me with pity in their eyes. They're like, <laughs> oh, no. Uh, well, and they, he said to me, he's like, um, I'm sure there's something you can eat. I was like, <laughs> I was like, Bitch, I'm going to drink tequila. He's like, well, that's fine. I'm like, I know. That's fucking awesome. Well, hey, Texas is a lot of tequila, dude. Tequila and DMT, but not at the same time. No. Are you a DMT fan? You know, I did it twice many, many moons ago. Um, I don't really do drugs these days, dude. It's not my thing. You are. Um, I am drugs. Exactly. I don't need to be more crazy. I, I really, really love tequila, though. Like, really love tequila. Yeah, yeah me too. <clears throat> Like it's not, we, it's not even like alcohol. It's like some other spirit. It is a spirit. Totally. It's the spirit of being rad <laughs> and put on Slayer and fucking just having a good time. I'm just so not a metalhead. Like I, I, I used to think I was a metalhead and then people would be like, so you like these bands? I'm like, no, I like corn and Deftone and some nice nails and tool. And they're like, that's not metal. Nice nails and tool metal. Yeah, but I'm they're a, unique in their own way, though. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I guess I like new metal or uh, grunge. I'm a grunge kid. That's I'm a grunge kid. Like I actually had a ticket to Nirvana. The show never happened. I love how you Canadians pronounce Nirvana. That's so funny. Fuck you. <laughs> we, we we love Nirvana. We love pasta and tacos. Pasta. It, it's like how Gavin McKinnon pronounces a uh, NASA. He's like Nassau. 
Dude, I could like wait what what all day. I could eat tacos all day. Actually, I'm tacos, tacos. I'm oh my tacos, god, tacos for my mom right when we're done. Oh my god, that's so awesome. Tacos. My yeah. mom loves tacos. I was raised on tacos. Dude, I love grunge though. Alice in Chains is one of my favorite bands of all time. Alice in Chains. Dude, actually, I was in a band with their his, their old bassist, their touring bassist, because uh, Mike and Ez was always too strung out to fucking go on tour. So they'd bring this guy Frapp in, who's known for having dreadlocks to his feet. And many many moons later, he's a bartender at the the local metal punk rock place, Casino Camino. And I'm cooking there and bartending there. He hears me like screaming to the music and he goes, we should start an eighties hair metal band. And I'm like, yeah, of course. Like thinking it's a joke or like a passing comment. A couple weeks later he goes, Hey, so I booked a venue at South by Southwest and Ivan DePrume from white zombies flying down to be the drummer. I'll play bass. Al Shire's a guitar. You're singing. I'm like, wait, really? <laughs> so we, we did a one off at South by Southwest, uh, eighties hair metal cover band. Can you guess what our name was? No. So all the chicks from the 80s are now cougars, right? Okay. So the name was called Cougar Trap. Oh. <laughs> Dude, and it was all just like the most, the most raunchy 80s songs. And like we, we made a banner that went up in the East, the banner of the East, that was a, a white bed sheet with bras and panties pinned up spe- spelling Cougar Trap. And like... Wearing the gold spandex and all that, and every song you take off of article clothing. <laughs> you know, it was just like the best, dude. So I'm all about that Alice in Chains grunge and 80s hair metal and all that stuff. Oh, amen. Amen. Hey, so, so here's the thing. Um, in the Golden Dawn, the term Holy Guardian Angel is pretty much used as synonymous with higher self, higher genius, true will, right? Mm-hmm. But generally, I think they are actually different things. Aaron Leach has been a, a proponent these days that the higher Holy Garden Angel is a distinct separate entity. Scarlet Magdalene agrees, and that it can only be attained through the Abermelon ritual done properly. So that's them tapping into a specific, specific tradition that kind of coined that term, right? And saying that to connect to that spirit. You have to do that operation, right? Yeah, that's my read. And is that, do you think that they're, they're saying that that Holy Garden Angel is unique to each person still, or that it is a spirit of that grimoire? That's an interesting, see, see, see what I mean? That's the kind of question I was hoping I would get. Cause I, I'm not looking for answers on this one. I'm looking for, cause I could see, I could see, no, I don't agree with it, but I could see their argument being that that is the spirit of the grimoire. Therefore you need to use that grimoire to get there. Right. Just like in Martinism, their spirit would be called La Chose, which literally means the thing. <laughs> it's so great, right? Um, now, but I would argue that you don't need to go through Martinism to find La Chose. I would argue La Chose is an allegory for Gnosis, for God, for the presence, the Shekinah, the, the HGA, the fucking pr- the Christ. Now, Maybe I'm overly simplistic. Maybe I like to reduce things too much, but I don't really care what term you use. I think we're just getting to Gnosis. That's why I use that term these days instead of HGA. But um, I do think in the Golden Dawn terms, if you plot out HGA, higher self, higher divine genius, I think they're three different things. If you put the tree of life in four worlds, I think they're three different things. Okay. You know, they, or three different levels of the four worlds. Like, where do we end up 
in a properly done five, six, you know, and I'm not sure if we should go down this route, but no, just like throwing it out there as maybe rhetorical, road. maybe not. Let's go down this road. This is a great way to, 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 to careen to our conclusion. To careen to the conclusions. So like, what would you think? Like, where do you think we're ending up? Um, at five, six, like what sphere are we in on the, on the tree life in four worlds? Well, I don't think that you can be initiated into five, six, unless you have knowledge and conversation with your Holy guardian angel word. Like, so you think that occurs before the five, six, I think you can go through the ceremony, but you're not, the initiation doesn't actually occur spiritually and alchemically unless you've already made that contact gotten that true inner 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 order motto that inner that truest of true names which represents your true will uh, and the mission and purpose of your soul on this planet and so that is that in portal by uh, doing the thought invocation mm-hmm. and by tempering it with either the isis invocation or the hermetic rosary or whatever whatever uh, white work you want to do to temper the red to to create the gold whatever you want to do you can get in touch with your spirit of spirits, or as the Kabbalists would say, the uh, Arikan Pin, right? The greater face. Mm-hmm. You are, we, we live in the lesser face, but we need to see the greater face face to face. And once you do that, you can talk to it. And that's what I do. I talk to my greater face. Yep. And it tells me what I need to do. And then I, it leaves me alone until I've done it. And if I don't do it, it, it might ignore me for a while or... I, I, give I, you a little bitch slap. <laughs> if, I, well, if I if I go off course hardcore, it might yep. it might beat the shit out of me, and yep. that has happened. Um, so I, I think that what you said there is that like getting initiated in the five six, but then you need to have the HGA that experience. I think that that's exactly why Crowley set up the AA the way he did. the The AA when you get initiated to five six, you're called five six without. And you, you're without the veil. You're the bottom half of Tiferet. Or you're just 5-6 without Gnosis, right? Or without the HGA. And the, the goal of the grade, the 5-6 without, is to attain. It, it literally, you have all these lists of grades, right? And then 5-6 without, it just says one word, one line. Attain the knowledge of conversation with the Holy Garden Angel. Yeah. And you, okay. you aren't a 5-6 within. You aren't a true 5-6 until you accomplish that. See, so people say that, well... The Golden Dawn can't put you in touch with the Holy Guard. Aaron Leach would say the Golden Dawn doesn't get you in touch with the Holy Guard. And Guardian. by Golden Dawn, do you mean the Outer Order? No, he means all of it. Okay, got it. All of it. He means it's a separate... He, yeah, he, he's saying you have to use the Abram one, right? Like, you know, but he's also selling training to do that ritual. So that, right. that's the thing, right? So I, I, I do suggest my adepts after 5-6 or after SI that they go do the Abram one. Even if they've already done the Abram one through the Elo Cohen style of it. Because, I don't know if you know or not, the Elo Cohen was the first organization that had a, a grade process in which you went through an HGA, a Brahman-style operation. They called it the Bon, Le bon Compagnon, the, the Good Companion. And during the so-called outer order, we could say for convenient terms, of the Elo Cohen, you're uniting with your HGA, and you're doing very specific processes to attain that, that knowledge. And this was, we didn't see another order do something like that until the Golden Dawn. And everyone identifies the Golden Dawn as ones that did that, but Pascal was doing that in 1750, dude. <laughs> 1755, 1770. Yeah. 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 So, But I still suggest, even if they've done it in that way, to go do the, quote, legitimate Abramlin of Von Worms. 
think I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it this uh, spring, which is why I'm... Shit, you haven't done that yet, nigga? No, no, no. Are you, are you kidding? Are you kidding? No. Dude, it takes it takes time. and, and I know it does. You, I, I don't mean that as a... As a, as a certain, certain, meant in jest. You have, to, you have to be able to get up every day before sunrise. Yep. You can't you do that? Do when you're touring with a band no. playing two to three hundred shows a year. Of course not. Of which course is not. what I've been doing since 2005 up to 2015. Yep. Like, I've played a lot. I hear um, you, man. Did I do magic? You betcha. Like, adepts would come out and see my shows after not seeing me for years, and I'd be like, yeah, I know, I sort of missed the magic thing. They're like, dude, you're doing magic. I'm like, oh, you noticed. And they're like, <laughs> they're like, I don't know what God forms you're in that whole show. I'm like, oh, I actually choose them based on the key of the song. And then I create sigils in my, my sphere of sensation and I pull in that energy and I channel it through my hands and the stungs and all this stuff. And they're like, yeah, that's what we thought. I'm like, yeah, I haven't, I don't talk about it. You know, I just, I just do it. And I was experimenting. I was experimenting. I would do a lot of oh, that's the art. God forms. I would do Every kind of god forms. I would do uh, the Irish god Lu a lot, and 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 uh, Ogma, the the honey tongued god, a lot. I would work with these Irish god forms that I had developed experience, uh, connections with in my teen years, and and I and I still do that. Like you know, uh, music is music is magic to me, and magic is music. It's a uh, well. That's you taking all this theory and making art. Yeah, and that, is, that is the goal of when you're talking about like happiness, right? We're happy because we're living our artistic selves. Like Tom Berg says, instead of being some retarded hermeticist, I, I was going direct. But, you know, <laughs> I'm joking. You know what? It's a lot more fun on tour than it is uh, being up in a mountain <laughs> as a hermit. <laughs> it, it can be. It can be. The What was I going to say? Your, your comment threw me. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Um it's all beautiful, man. It's all, it it's is all beautiful. It's, um, attitude of gratitude, man. The la- if you, did you ever read Umberto Eco's Foucault's pendulum? I did. Yes, the sir. The last line is my favorite last line of any book ever. And it's simply, it's so beautiful. He says, Malkut is Malkut. And that's it. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Fuck. You don't need anything more. Just remembering it. You don't, we always think we need more, more, higher, higher, more light. And then we realize that you're surrounded by light. The more, more, more is what Jacques Lacan, the French psychoanalyst would call the objet petit a, the Mm -hmm. petit, the, 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 yeah, the objet a. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fucking amazing. We're good. We're going to definitely have to do a part two to this sooner rather than later. Dude, I would love to, you've seen, it's hard for me to schedule because we're both busy individuals, man, yeah. running orders, writing books. I'm busy um, making tacos. Making, oh man, dude. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Dude, I make yeah. taco. You know, I'm going to go have tacos tonight after this talk. You inspired me. I'm going yeah. to go, I'm going to call it taco. And my girlfriend's going to be like, what did you say? Yeah. And just keep saying what? It just like, what? just, just don't, don't, don't like, don't trip. Just act what? like that's how tacos. you've always said it. Pretend like <laughs> tell you, you'll be like, baby, baby. I thought you always liked said tacos. tacos. She'll be like, what would she say? 
she I don't know. She'd probably just roll her eyes and be like confused and let it go. <laughs> then you have to sing a song like cooking tacos, gonna eat some tacos, serve you. Tacos, eat your taco. Eat your taco. Well, let's see, I, I went back to taco. God damn it. <laughs> I'm lost in power okay. my taco. So I'm gonna be very intentional tonight and say taco. Taco, 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 taco. Tacos and margaritas. If she, no, margaritas. When you say you're going to make tacos and margaritas, if she, (laughs) if she says what, be like, oh, I'm sorry. Should I make some pasta? (laughs) Pasta and when? And then just give her the heavy metal devil horns and go. Shout out to Canada. (laughs) Shout out. I'm going to do that exact same thing tonight. You got it, buddy. Yeah, fucking fucking a, A, man. A, man. This is a lot of fun, dude. Dude, what a pleasure. I'm so glad we finally made this happen. Oh, my God. Good intro. Yes, good, sir. Good. Yeah, this beginning is... Beginning of new things. Next time, let's do... Let's dress up all pretty and do it video style. I'm all about the video, dude. Like, I finally... Not... not Almost everything I do is video. Because you're a pretty motherfucker. <laughs> and, I, dude, I got this beard right now that's... The, it's, it's, it's so ridiculously alpha male. I love it. But... Um, it is. I finally re- realized we're, we're not in video, and I, I kicked back my chair, and I'm relaxing. I don't normally do this. I normally sit up very tall and straight, you know? Right. It's really relaxing. Well, yeah. well, I have noticed it's different without video. Like, there's, it's, it's almost more relaxed. There's, it, the conversation goes differently without video, and I like both of them. I like them both. What I really want to do, is, I would love to actually do all of these in person, of course, of course. of course. You know, you come out of Texas, we'll get me, Jeff, some other motherfuckers, and we'll have a, a camera in the corner and some mics in the center and have a, a, a round table. My sister gave me a GoPro for Christmas, so I'm going to start doing some... Cr- I'm going to start... Dude, I'm going to... I'm filming everything. I'm going to film all the stuff. And I have, like, film friends in Vancouver who were, like, worked on Supernatural and all these other big-ass shows, like The Magicians. My friends were, like half the crew on magicians and half the actors. So they're going to help me do all the rituals and film them and, and make them more pro than anyone else could imagine. And, and here's the, here's the kicker. I, I, I haven't, I shouldn't tell anyone this, but so, you know, that, that whole masterclass series that's online. Uh, what, what do you mean? You can study like there's master, uh, like, like, like acting with, uh, I'm, I'm, yeah. my name is Neil Gaiman and this is my masterclass. Yes. Well, I'm going to have them, uh, they're really good at, at what they do, so they can replicate the appearance of a trailer for a master class. So we're going to replicate that beat for beat and film it, light it exactly like it's a master class done for that, that network of master classes. But at the end, it'll be like, hello, I'm Frater RC, and this is my magic class. Dude, I love that. I mean, this is like... I, I have for years wanted to make a a Golden Dawn commercial, but by commercial I mean like a a Griffin style, uh, a, a, a making fun of Griffin commercial in which you see some dude at three in the morning sitting on a couch. It's actually Mark Sester's idea, sitting on a couch, and he's got like chips all over his chest. He's like eating junk food. He's all fat and ugly, and then he sees at three in the morning this uh infomercial and it's like does your life suck yeah 
Do you wish you were cool? Yeah. Do you want to meet chicks? Yeah. Do you want power? Yeah. You should join the Golden Dawn. And like, <laughs> you know, and like all the flashes across the screen and whatever. And then you have like some guy like doing the, the Griffin style pose, right? And and doing the sales pitch. And then at the bottom, the, the number. He calls the number. But the thing is, the moment it rings, there's a knock, knock, knock in the door. Because it's magic, right? And he's answered by the men in black, which oh, is a, kind of a Martinus thing. So he's answered by, answered by guys in black, black suits, black tie, black sunglasses. Uh, excuse me, are you, um, are you Mr. Fraud RC? Uh, I am. Um, did you call to join the Golden Dawn? I did. Would you still like to join that? I would. They kick open the door and just do a bastardized, crazy version of initiations real fast. Like, they, they draw a chalk circle. They, they throw water on them. They, they burn them with a sensor. They, when, come, when, when they come to the Hyrus's station, they just, like, stand around and kick him on the ground. Right. <laughs> Shit like that, dude. And they do a full exorcism on him. And in the end, he's in the circle, like, half dead, sprawled out. The power and- of Yeshua compels you. <laughs> right, yeah, dude. There's so many things you go, but as they walk out, they're like, "All right, Sundays are uh, meetings are third Sunday. Dues are forty bucks a month. See you later." And then, like the the logo like spins and flashes at you, like something like that, dude. It'd be so funny to have a comp, and someone's gonna steal that now that we said dude, that. Dude, someone that has the ability no with real cameras. This. this isn't Joe Rogan. No one, no one's gonna steal it. <laughs> Everyone but watching like, this is uh... that would be so funny because some people might think it's serious. And I bet, regardless, people are going to be interested. I think we said way too many swear words for those people to be hanging around this. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. good riddance. Alienation marketing, baby. Um, it would be. I love the idea of doing like David Griffin mockumentary style adverts. Though, so what about one that's like that's like, uh, "Hello, do you want power? Do you want self mastery and control of the five elements?" We do not do the sign of Horus. We do seek Heil. Oh, you no. Know? <laughs> it's the most powerful great sign. Come and join the hermetic order of the Golden Dawn and sterben alle Juden. Dude, that would be so appropriate. And unfortunately, it would probably be, it might be taken wrong these days. You, know? you think? Yeah. Dude, dude. In that'd the, be funny as shit. So right after my master's, I got a job. I was flown out, out of Ireland back to Canada to interview for a job for GLE, Golden Laurel Entertainment. It was a startup board and card game company. And you know, after a couple of years, they, they were losing money because, you know, designing strategy board games doesn't make you rich for some reason. And, well, they did a yeah. game, Galactic Destiny. Go buy Galactic Destiny, the board game, online. It's fucking amazing. It's like Risk in Space, but with extra political intrigue and in-game karmic consequences for bad behavior. And that's a quote from uh, best-selling author Lisa Smedman, who wrote a bunch of Dark Elf uh, TSR Forgotten Realms novels and played it. Anyway, I did a follow-up game for them called Kill the Hippies. (laughs) And it was a party card game. It takes 15 minutes to play. It's called Kill the Hippies, fun for the whole church group. And the cover, you can see it online if you Google it, is like these two Mormons in the back of a pickup with a shotgun shooting a tie-dyed, peace-wearing hippie dreadlock kid through the chest with a double barrel. And the card game was 20 bucks. And then after 
after the company went bankrupt in 2008, along with everybody else, um, the game went up, became a cult classic after Gen Con, and became like was selling online for a hundred bucks or more. I don't even have a copy of it to this day, even though I own the IP and not the company. And I recently went to see if I could find a copy online to get it, and I couldn't find it anywhere. And I went through the message boards of gamers. It has been declared illegal to sell it. What? Because well, it was it was so controversial. Hippies. All the hippies in 2007 who were like, this satire is the best thing we've ever fucking seen. It made fun of the radical right and the radical left in the most abhorrent ways possible. Like there was there was action cards in the game where it was like um, uh, you lose your turn if you don't uh, if you don't own a gun, but you get an extra turn if you're currently smoking a joint. Nice. You know, things like that. And there yeah. was competitions that would uh, let you quote Bible verses and win the game and stuff. It was, it was just, a, it was a shit show. There was just this, and I spent, I sweated endless hours for six months with five other guys designing this. Do, do you it, have the, do you have the write-ups and the specs and all that? to like, create all your own online. Version? The cards and everything is online. It's all online. Actually, okay, what, what was the name again? Kill the Hippies. Kill the Hippies. Right, yeah, I'm it's a card game. That up. Yeah. There's a punk band named that as well, so that's what turns up now mostly. But if you just Google Kill the Hippies, you'll find crazy fucking shit. And there's every every one of us who had designed it. I was the main... My name's on the front of the box. Eleguinum Whale on MDiv. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Whatever. Anyway. Um, there it is. We're, we're yeah. all... Yeah, you see... Yeah, that's fucking awesome, dude. The <laughs> shotgun and dude, the I Bible. <laughs> oh, dude. Comedy, man. Comedy is the essence of how we get through life. And what's really sad is is like I was when we back were back to Bible camp. When we were sell oh, and dude, if you look closely at that picture, there's like a, a kid giving a camp counselor fellatio in a window. There's two other kids who like shooting arrows through another kid. And there's some kid that's drowned and there's all this fucked up shit happening. I it, see it. There's yeah. like a church war card where there's like two churches across the street from each other. And like, they're attacking and burning down each other's churches and burning it. One, one of my favorite cards is like, is, uh, is, is this one where a hippie is like saw style handcuffed to a, a hookah. And next to him on the ground is a is a chainsaw, and oh the hookah it's called hookah bomb, and the hookah has has uh, C four strapped to the sides of it, and it's going to go off. And there's a, a saw next to him, and he's handcuffed to the hookah. <laughs> dude, this is the most ridiculous, amazing shit ever. It and is. the art the art is really well done on it. Oh, dude. Oh yeah, we spent. I'm totally gonna I'm totally gonna print this shit. Like the idea of this being on here because you can't buy it is just to print it and play it yourself or do whatever, right? Yeah, and like the rules were written up as Ten Commandments. It was genius, and everyone it was it was the indie success at Gen Con. I would go around to Comic Con and Gen Con, and I was like, uh, I was like, do you want to trade products? They'd be like, what do you do design? I was like, kill the hippies. They're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, please. People would buy the game for twenty bucks, come back the next day and say, I need nine copies for my friends. And yes. Also, and those were hippie chicks, but also one guy came up like. Also, right-wingers would come up. Like, this one guy, he's like, I just got back from Iraq, and I want to... I love this. Yeah, those fucking hippies. Let's give me five... <laughs> and and he, actually, like, he actually said, do you mind if I pay... Could I buy one of these packs with this money? And he slapped down three bills, and they all had Saddam Hussein's face on it. 
Oh my god! I still have one of them. I gave two of them away to my friends. So yeah, those are collectors' items. I gave you know? two of them away. They're probably worth a lot, eh? I bet. I gave two. A, a. I gave. That was the first a. time you did a all night. You know? Do you know what the truth is? Here's a confession for those who have stuck with us this long. I don't actually naturally say it. I started saying it whenever I was abroad because I found out that it actually made us less likely to get bottled from behind by strangers in bars. Well, it, it's like me saying y'all or saying, I don't say I'm from America when I travel. I say I'm Texan. Dude, you know, there's a package you can buy. Uh, Americans buy this travel kit. It's a Canadian travel kit and it comes with a badge for your backpack and a flag and all this information about Canada so that Americans can buy it for like 90 bucks. And when they're traveling, Europe or abroad pretend to be Canadian. See, I just say I'm Texan, dude, and it's always been played very well. Dude, like, yeah. it's always been received very well. You know, it's hard for me to actually believe that there's such animosity towards from one human being to another around the world. The thing is, I know there is, but like, you know, like we're all human beings, right? Like what I see going on in China with the with the white rappers, all the Uyghurs in the concentration camps, like that's just so heartbreaking. They're not white rappers. I'm joking, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but like, like I would, I almost feel like I would go boots on the ground to stop those because that's their bigger concentration camps than they had in Nazi Germany. This is a great note to end on, by the way. But, like, we're all human beings, and we're all focused on so much division. What? Here's the question. What happened to humanitarianism? What happened? You know, the, the positive humanitarian aspect of Aquarius, it seems that this stage in it is being overtaken by the totalitarian authoritarian aspect of it. It's just so heartbreaking, man. It's classical divide and conquer, you know? Yeah. And I think it is a phase. I'm not that worried about it. I mean, I, I, I worry about things. I stress about what's going on. But I also don't let it get to me. And I make sure to turn off the news and make sure to only intake so much information on it. Because in the end, you're just going to live your life, right? And I, I only focus on reliable news sources like Alec Jones. Uh, agreed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I didn't even know who he was till like earlier this year. I, I, I'm so, so funny. Loop on was that when you were, was that when you were talking to, to Contreras? No, like I, I heard about him when he got deplatformed, which is ironic, right? Like, right. How many yeah. people strike me down? I'll become more powerful. Than you can ever imagine. Okay. You, you want me? Okay. Here's the thing. Like I actually did a 40 hour deep dive into QAnon. I watched 10 hour documentaries back to back. I went into it like a fucking academic champion. And the yeah. reason I did was because people said that told me while I was in California that anyone who pays any attention to that stuff is an idiot. And I was like, what? They're like, yeah, none of that stuff could even be slightly true. And if you even consider it, you're fucking stupid. And I was like, well now like you're talking to someone who literally spent their academic career studying heresy and hermeticism. So you want to see that side, dude, censorship is fucking so stupid it's so it's unreal dude it's it unreal doesn't work it radicalizes it, it, it's so like yep. I, if someone is a is a racist sexist douchebag i want them to say it as much and as loud as they can because i want to know that there's nothing worse these days than having those people be all hush hush about it and you know you might talk to them online and next thing you know you're developing a friendship and then one day they drop that bomb and you're like oh snap you're a racist sexist douchebag and they're like i thought you knew and nah. it's like 
oh god i just wasted so much time on you because i want to know right away if you're like that like i want to know i joke around and i say stupid fucked up shit all the time i'm from vancouver same city as ryan reynolds and seth rogan no surprise that their humor isn't some innovation it's vancouver humor man like when i was 12 years old my friends were being like let's let's just you know she wouldn't go out with me, so I kicked her in the vagina. We've been saying that shit fucking way before it was mainstream in the U.S. That's Vancouver humor. We are crass, fucked up wankers, just like the Viennese. Shout out to my homies in Wien. Yeah, super live on Gel. There's certain cities in the world that have really crass humor. Ours is one of them. Ours happened to get mainstream through Hollywood, and now it's de rigueur. Austin, Texas used to be one of those, but not so much anymore. It's gotten very stiff and cold. Yeah, I'm worried about this censorship, man. I'm worried about all this shit, these new policies with Instagram and Facebook. But there's nothing we can do about it. We're just fucking NPCs, right? Yep. There's nothing we can do on the on, with those corporate levels and those giant companies. But what we can do is one-on-one, have good relations with people, talk straight with people, and respect when we have differences. You know, like I have plenty of friends who have completely by uh, the entire opposite of the spectrum, politically or beliefs or whatever. And those don't have to be divide divisions, points of division. They can be just a thing and they can actually become something that eventually we find a bridge with and helps us with all of our other relationships, learn how to connect with people. My, my, my doctor fought her, Nicholas Goodrich Clark, before he died in 2012 said, if there's one thing that he thought I could do as an academic, it was it would be build bridges between the academic scholars of esotericism and the practical occultists that he knew that I knew so well. And I said, maybe. And then he died. And my PhD in the department at Exeter shut down. And I was like, a year later, he actually like appeared to me in, while I was in a sauna. And I just started crying. And I, it was transformative. Like I can't even express it. You know, when you're, you know, and like, mm-hmm. I realized I had to do it. I had to do it. Yep. And that's, hey, what that's I, it. I love it, dude. I love what you're doing. And this podcast is rad. What you're doing is <laughs> awesome. And you're so connected to the world and to the esoteric community that you have this ability to bring people together. And it's the same kind of magic I see in Jeff, the way that he keeps all these connections and, you know, just more power to you, dude. And really, I'm very, very honored. You know what? I am supremely honored oh. <laughs> to, to be a guest on your show and to just come and hang out with you, dude. Well, brother, I hope one day we get to hang out and you can jump kick me in the head and I can uh, <laughs> smack, smack you around with a saber. My favorite thing to do with my students who are newbies with fencing would be to hit their helmets because they're like, that, that's not a target. That's off target with foil. And I'd be like, yeah, but it fucked you up, didn't it? They're like, yeah. And they'd be shaking the rest of the fight and couldn't focus. That's awesome. You slam them so Psychological hard. Psychological warfare. Them. Dude, there's nothing, there's no feeling like being slammed in the head with a fucking five-foot piece of steel. That, that's like me. Uh, before tournaments, I would uh, paint my toenails pink. <laughs> Whoa, just, that's some heavy mind games, bro. Dude, psychological warfare. Yeah. and you, You'd fucking toe up with the guy. He'd be like, he'd look, he'd be like, what? You're all, it's the, la- the last thing you see before it goes black. It's going to be pink. And they're just like, Dude. what the fuck? And you already won the fight. <laughs> <laughs> I had a move in fencing where I would jump forward, like do a double step at someone and throw my arms wide and expose my chest. And they'd be so shocked. They'd jump back. And then I just slam my blade into their solar plexus. 
Yeah. The, the games we play to have fun with ourselves. Yes, sir. And fun with others. Let's all have fun, people. That's what this podcast is about. It's about having fun. I know we pretend on it that we're magicians and occultists and initiates and, and uh, intelligent human beings, but we're all just a bunch of disabled fuckers doing the best we can to be as normal as the rest of y'all. Wait, yeah, word. <laughs> you we'll don't leave on that. that. I don't know about the whole normal thing, but <laughs> yeah, no, we're not normal. Everyone knows it's all, it's all, it's all, it's all jokes. It's all BS. What is normal? What is normal? Well, well hey man, here, here um, you go. Here's a quote to end the night on. Eric Heller, my 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 theology professor in grad school, just died, and she would always quote this one dude, Eric Heller, and she would say, "Be careful how you interpret the world. It really is like that." It is. Your thoughts become your words. Your words become your actions. Actions become your patterns. Becomes your destiny. You know, it, it's all about how you frame things and your perspective. Brother, it's been a great epic podcast. Almost at four hours here, so I'm going to let you go. Have a good night. Much you too, brother. Love. Much love to you. We'll talk again soon. Yes, we have to. Let's do a roundtable with me, you, Jeff, and someone else. I love that. We'll definitely yeah, figure that out. Let's find some rando lady to add on. There you go. Maybe a, or you know what? Maybe a Stetzer. Or I'll, I'll message Tabby Cicero. I bet she'd be game. Yeah. What about Sonia? I talked to her a little while ago. Uh, she maybe we'll find yeah. someone. We'll we find need, someone. We'll we find need someone. Some feminine energy, though, if it's you know you and I and others. Yeah, sausage fest. Yeah. Yeah, no, let's not do that, you know. I mean, that 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 used to be funny until we all saw Trump dancing. Word. <laughs> all, all right. Well, you take care, brother. Light an extension, dude. LVX. Peace. LVX. Hermetic Science Enterprises is a publishing company based in Scotland, UK, that specializes in Western esoteric printed literature, as well as educational videos. With various imprints under its belt, its roster consists of grimoire tradition literature, alchemical works, Golden Dawn tradition books, and the several texts and videos originally belonging to the philosophers of nature. Besides its downloadable videos and standard hardcover edition books, Hermetic Science Enterprises also produces beautiful and precious limited fine edition books that are true pieces of art. For more information to order any of its products, please visit www.hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk. That's hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk. And as a lot of you know, I've uh, talked with the publisher Lenny on the podcast before, including a six-hour epic uh, extended version on the Patreon, and uh, seen the fine edition of his new grimoire of Scott's Discovery of Witchcraft, which is only available for purchase up to 50 limited copies uh, till the end of May, I believe. So check it out now. Hermetic Science Enterprises.co.uk